A special edition of Spotlight here on Gravel. I'm Benno. I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And lads, for the first time in a while, you're, you're not in the same building. Joe, is uh, you're okay uh, not being able to visit JP? Is it uh, quite as comfortable at home? Uh, it's probably a bit more comfortable. I've got a sofa to myself, to be honest with you. And, you know, I've got my arse groove in this one and all the rest of it. And... <laughs> Haven't you got one of JP's yet? Uh, yeah, it's kind of getting there, to be honest. But, yeah, I'm, uh, really you know, I'm gutted I can't be there. Gutted, but absolutely understandable. But... Yeah, me and JP uh, bid farewell to one another on Monday night. It's being like being split up from like my second partner, basically. See him every day, <laughs> and when I'll next see him. Yeah, probably sometime in late August. Yeah, whatever JP's disease JP's got, you're probably gonna have anyway, Joe. So. You know. Exactly. That was kind of I think the way we were both sort of thinking, to be honest. <laughs> share the same workplace, share the same car a lot, share the same podcast in space as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you're holding up all right over there, JP, without him. Just about. Um, yeah, it, it feels very, very weird at the minute, having sitting in the middle of the sofa. Um, and it does. It feels like I've gone through some sort of divorce, really. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Bit uh, melodramatic, I know. Mate, but... you've had breakouts before. How does this one feel? Hard, mate. Difficult. <laughs> very, a... very, very difficult. We're on uh, hiatus. Think about it that way. Yeah, put it, put it, it ex- that way. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I have, as I refer to, I've decided to try and replace you with a uh, version of uh, Shamrock Rovers on Football Manager. So it's just going to have to take your place. So hasn't really got much in the way of a sides, but its knowledge of Irish football is certainly greater than Joe's. And that's not a slight on Joe because he's done a lot of work on that over over the last few years. Kind well, of enforced, were that you've pushed on me, mate. Not not work I've done, you know, voluntarily. <laughs> Apart from that one game I went to uh, with you in Ireland, which was a great. Well, it wasn't a great game. It was a great experience, but. Yeah, I can't say I would know anything about the League of Ireland if it wasn't for your good self. There you go. So you're good for something, JP. But um, yeah, waiting on, also on the line with us. Uh, I don't know if he's... Maybe he's the third man. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's uh, the, the, the thing that's uh, causing a divide between the two of you. We've got on the line uh, our good <laughs> friends and uh, my co-host on uh, the British Wrestle Experience. It's the uh, the Brigadier of Brit Res, Martin Bushby. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you can step in and, uh, and sort things out between uh, these two. It feels like a ta- tabloid story, this. Oh, I know. I'd, uh, I'd hate to think that I'd stepped in between uh, Joe and JP. That's, that's absolutely <laughs> awful. I mean, uh, obviously, thanks for inviting me on, Benno. I mean, um, I've mainly come on to hear about JP's football manager career. Have you been <laughs> offered the island job yet? I'm going for that, but I'm, I'm trying to build it up organically. I, I'm Basically, I'm screwed for this season. Long story short, I've drawn Wolves in, round, in the qualifying round two of the Europa League. So... Um, yeah, it's it's gone downhill from the heady heights of the group stage where I got beaten eight nil from Man U. Wow! Um, but no Fuck Ireland job me. yet. Yeah, it was a bad. It, things went wrong. Another couple of players had the coronavirus. Top scorer. <laughs> yeah, the keeper's back. He hasn't retired. I talked him round. Yeah. <laughs> See you, sweet talking you, JP. <laughs> I have to throw myself into this to avoid the zombie apocalypse that we're all living through at the moment. But there we are. So did you used to play uh, sensible soccer back in the day? Oh, I did. I did, but um, I was always about the management games, I must admit. Mm. Um, 
yeah, sort of much more when Champ Man started, it was just like being given a uh, yeah. I probably spent like crack at the, the amount of time JP spends on Football Manager right now is the amount of time I spent on Sensi converting yeah. all the players from like you know it'd be like Donovan Ferguson and I'd make him into Duncan Ferguson and it'd be Mike Hughes and I'd turn it to Mark Hughes like you, you could spend you could lose a lot of hours doing that like that was that was to be honest there was depth in that game considering how basic it was yeah because you could have um, you could play the manager's role on that couldn't you as well as playing the actual games as well oh, and like yeah. you said you spend hours and hours changing all the teams into the actual teams rather than the dodgy names that they've given everybody mm. I wonder if they, do they still do that is that what games do now JP will know as a dad um well the thing i'm finding with like in terms of football games these days like my son plays pro evolution soccer he had to download all the names and stuff like that off there so he's he's, so it's now it's just ridiculous ridiculously high res he argues about var when it appears on on the tv he's just gone to a whole new level this version of football manager jesus like endless press conference. That's turn, <laughs> stop. Stop turning up. Yeah, they, they've just gone to a whole new level. It's just like get off me fucking back. I've just finished work. <laughs> you don't seem happy about that at all. I'm not, but I'm kind of weirdly enjoying the experience as a distraction. So right, how, how big are these press conferences usually? Sometimes they're asking about eleven, twelve questions. And okay, I've got nothing more to give, guys. Piss off. And what's, <laughs> what sort of questions you asked? Oh, there's one journalist who likes winding things up. I don't know why. He's just taken an instant dislike to me. And <laughs> he'll ask stuff and say, oh, this manager said this. What do you think? And then if you go, look, I don't really want to answer that. He goes, you've got to answer it. People want to know. And then, right. just, and then it starts stirring up rows with players and you're looking to sell them because you arrest them one week and all the rest of it. And you can't just type back, fuck off. Like, <laughs> just won't let you do it. So you got these, it's just like, oh, so I had to switch them off. Start, sent my uh, assistant manager to do it. That's his job. The new can one. I just, can I just address a problem there, mate, that I think you're, you're, you're going to cause for yourself long term? <laughs> What's that? So you want this Ireland job, don't you? Ultimately. Yeah. Mate, you got to keep the press on side if you want the international job. That, them press are going to be fucking beasts to you if you get that job. Like the word to Harry Redknapp. No, well, no, they, they wanted they wanted Harry to get the job. I think it was the FA and the allegations around Redknapp and the controversy, wasn't it? Which is why they went for Hodgson. And Hodgson didn't have an easy time, did he? Let's be honest. Sven, mm-hmm. he didn't keep the press on side. He, you know, and he was bitching about, like, I've got a private life and I've got a professional life. Oh, he loved it, though. He, he loved being in the paper, Sven. You reckon? Yeah, and he was all about, oh. like, you know, tan Sven with his, with his, with his uh, Eureka Johnson as his, like, not model girlfriend, but his celebrity girlfriend. He was bang into it. He pretended he wasn't, but he was bang into it. He's, he still rails against the press to this day. I was watching Does some he? clips of him on uh, Monday Night Football with Jamie Carragher, where basically they would, Jamie Carragher's asked him all sorts of questions about his England reign, and Sven was basically doubling down and back in his like call to put Walcott in the squad and play skulls on the left and stuff. It was just a bit shit. And then he just started railing on the press again. I was like, okay, Sven's still a bit bitter about the press. Understandably so, but no, I don't reckon he did love it. I think he was uh, 
genuinely bothered that he couldn't put it around like he did in Italy without uh, having loads of, you know, hacks hanging around at his front door waiting to see who was going to come out, if anything. <laughs> I think there's a good few affairs he had. Oh, yeah. I think Klopp, Klopp in, in like a much more innocent way, I think Klopp had that in Liverpool when he first moved here. The amount of people who'd be taking selfies with him and he'd be in like, just like, you know, local restaurants and stuff, wandering around the city centre like it was fine. But I think eventually he got overwhelmed. Um so he ended up sort of stopping doing it, but yeah. Uh, I can't McLaren, see Klopp doing it. I mean, the press fucking riled on him for using a fucking umbrella when it was raining. <laughs> he should never have had the job in the first place, mate. Oh. Absolute shite. I was going <laughs> to say as well, like, on, on, that, on that note, it reminds me as well. Dude, I don't know if any of you saw, you know, Carlo Ancelotti uh, was in the, the papers locally recently because he was, he was trying to, like, ingratiate himself to the local area in Liverpool he went to like Crosby Beach had a bit of a wonder saying how nice the walk was and then some bloke got a selfie with him in Bootlestrand and apparently he went to Bootlestrand and had a little walk around the shops like the the famous Bootlestrand where it's literally pound wells pound land lots of pound shops essentially and only really famous for like the bulger stuff like I can't connect those two things in my brain Carlo Ancelotti and Bootlestrand being one and the same has he got a drink problem? (laughs) Maybe, maybe. He's going to, like, the pubs around the back. He is, yeah. Maybe he's wanting to, I don't know, meet up with Stephen French or something. And he just <laughs> thinks, maybe he's watching Danny Dyer on Netflix oh. and decided to sort of get himself round to some of the local hots. He'd be near you soon enough, Benno. Yeah, fingers crossed, though. I'll, I'll wait till was, I, uh, was Bootlestrand where your close? tanning salon was, Bennett? <laughs> yeah, Tanner Reef, no, that was uh, that was uh, more towards entry race course if you if you need your, your scouse landmarks. I was glad, though, after our last show, I did get, get a bit of support. Andy Ogden said he didn't go to any tanning boots, but I had a couple of people. Uh, Alan Cheapshot mentioned that he was uh, a bit of a tanner in his younger days. Uh, Alan was, Farrell, mate. I oh, didn't Alan Farrell? That. Yeah, Alan yep. Farrell as well. Yep. He faked tans. He he did <laughs> in his younger days. He was kind what of saying, "Fuck!" I think he was saying, "I think he wants to get into the business." Mate, honestly, in like in some areas, it was like you know the the spiky hair, the tan. I was going back and forth with Matty and Crew on Twitter as well, like having like the <laughs> the pink polo shirt, like the, uh, the the perfectly trimmed like facial hair, going out drinking WKDs and spared off ice. That's that's how things were in my part of the north. I'm guessing it wasn't like that in Sheffield, man. No, I, I mean, it was for a few of my mates, but um, I went through a bit of a piercing phase as a teenager in true goth fashion, but yeah, no tanning. Absolutely no tanning. No tanning. Uh, <laughs> so I'm still trying to dig out some photos. I basically, I never really had a tan. I was just kind of a bit pink, but uh, I tried. Well, it's never too late, mate. There's apparently, as Joe said, there are there is a t- some tanning shops that are still staying open. I walked maybe. past it yesterday and today, and it's now closed. Oh, right. Essential businesses? I know, I know. P-workers, mate, aren't they? Uh, definitely. Uh, but anyway, what we're here to talk about is, um, and the reason we got Martin on, as an expert who, uh, who lived through it, I'm not saying you're old, Martin, just saying. You, <laughs> you, you. <laughs> you and JP, you know, you, me and Joe came, maybe came a little bit late, and I'm guessing, to WCW. Uh, I don't know if Joe's story's going to be the same as mine, but yeah, we're going to be talking Spring Stampede 1994 and WCW in general. So yeah, I thought it'd be worthwhile like talking that, like, that WCW fandom, like for me, it was 95, 96 before I'd started really 
I knew what WCW was, but before I started going back and, and watching tapes and stuff. So I kind of, for whatever reason, missed it when it was on ITV TV. I think maybe, I think Granada were one of the early ITVs to, to stop showing it. I think that's that's accurate. But I don't know. You can get the ball rolling, Mark. What was your, because I've seen some great photos of you at, a, at early 90s WCW shows. So yeah, it was, uh, was, was WCW your first love or was it WWE? Well, yeah, like like I imagine most people, it was uh, WWF. But then, like, I started discovering uh, WCW, and I think I look back at it with like sort of like rose-tinted glasses because it's easily one of my sort of favorite periods of wrestling from around that time period. I mean, I know there were loads of dodgy stuff like Eric Watts and like the Daft Bill Watts rules, but I still love that time period so so much, and like. I think it was probably similar to JP. I think it was seeing the tapes in WH Smith, like Star K92 mm. and WrestleWar 91, and spending Christmas and birthday money on them tapes. I, I were, my parents were really strict about 18 videos, so I couldn't buy WrestleWar 92, so I had to go around to a friend's house who, whose parents had no such hang ups, so we'd go around there on a Friday and watch <laughs> WrestleWar 92 alongside Commando and Predator and the like every Friday. So, yeah. I mean, Superstars are wrestling. evening, mate. Oh, I know, definitely. He, he had the biggest collection of 18-rated videos, and everyone used to flock around to his house on a Friday night or, or a Saturday to watch uh, to watch all these videos because none of our parents had let us watch any of them. <laughs> Sounds but, awesome. yeah, Superstars of Wrestling was a big eye-opener for me, obviously, precursor to Power Slam. I mean, they had tons of WCW coverage in there, and then subsequently from that, uh, Rob Butcher's tape trading with ECW and New Japan yes. stuff that you'd find in the back pages of there. Mm. Yeah, went through, oh, mate, that was happy times. Sat there really nostalgically about that. Yeah, the tape trading from Rob Butch. He would have been, would he have been near you as well? Uh, I think he was uh, probably more near Benno. I think he was sort of like Greater Manchester area. Ah, right. Because that was where, like, I can remember there was there was some WCW I got on there, but like you said, like through Superstars or Wrestling. Um, and, yeah, it was that, uh, it was, I was reading about it today in kind of looking up when the first time it was on. And 89, it, it had been on ITV, like kind of late night before they moved it to, um, they moved it to um, the afternoons. Um, in I think it was 92, they started to do that. Yeah, it was, it was that was wrestling to me. It was weird for us because um, obviously it showed on like all regional sort of ITV channels, yeah. apart from Yorkshire TV, they were the only one who didn't have it, so... I've no idea why the way they were one of the few that didn't have it, so that's why I had to like watch it through all the tapes and things like that. Yeah, because I think Rob Butcher did trade uh, WCW and WWF tapes, and then think sort of like in '94 he got a cease and desist letter from both of them. So yeah, he had to stop uh, trading the WCW and WWF stuff. All Japan never got to him then. In the end, he managed no. to escape <laughs> the clutches of Barber. I remember he put his phone number on there as well, and I imagine some of the fucking weird phone calls he probably used to get off bloody 12-year-old kids wanting uh, to know when the latest bloody New Japan tape was out. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I, you, I, you kind of reminded me of something there, because like I, you know, I was saying that like early 90s for me, I wasn't so much... I was aware it was on TV, like, biggest thing I knew Sting was. Like, I had like the... Mm. I had some of the WCW playing cards... I, you know, obviously see it in ma- magazines. And I do remember, like, the odd afternoon, like, it being on. It's being, like, the Davies Boy Smith kind of timing, uh, seeing, like, the odd episode of WCW on, on ITV. But my main memories are, like, maybe towards the end when... 
Granada stopped showing it up in the northwest, or maybe I was just a dumb kid and I didn't realize what time it was on. But trying to work out, like from the local listings, because my granddad had like a, a big aerial in his house, so I'd work out that it was on one of the other ITV affiliates, and I'd be trying to tune the telly into it to to mix success. Uh, but yeah, again, I, I don't rule out that maybe I was just a stupid kid. Oh, yeah, no, I think you could get it on some sort of like. I think if I had an old telly in in the spare bedroom in our house and some of the tuning on there, and I think we could pick up central TV for whatever fucking reason. So sometimes yeah. you'd be able to pick it up on there. Or, or we'd get like S4C from Wales. That that was like a common thing in the, in the northwest. Yeah. I mean, like, didn't you go to the big tour in '92, JP, with the Vader and Sting uh, title change at Wembley Arena? Yeah, so I went to, uh, there was two shows I went to. Um, the first one I went to was, I've actually found the right card for it now, was in December 91, the Raw Power Tour. Wow. And that was at Earl's Court. And um, it says on Cage Match 3,000. I'm thinking, was it fuck? It was like about <laughs> 1,500. <laughs> we were sat about, what, eight, nine rows from the front. It was like really, we were just able to be moved forward. And I was there with um, my mum, um, my mate, Paul Brown, who I just watched all of WCW with at that point in time. Shout out to Paul Brown. I awesome fella. Yeah. Do you know Paul lot, Brown? There'll be a lot more to come on about him as well. <laughs> his dad lived in Ohio and he was able to get Clash of the Champions converted <laughs> from... Um, american ntsc Amazing. to vhs i was able to watch that to get my ron simmons fix Amazing. also we were able to watch global as well and he put it on long play tapes post them Legend. over Legend. so excited he was yeah he was like a kind of, sort he of, was like a very kind of niche rob butcher <laughs> <providing> <laughs> early 90s wcw yeah he's, he's trip team before it was cooler he was, and he was—he he, wasn't—he was paying out of his pocket as well. In fairness, his son was on the other side of the channel, so I think he was just happy to do anything like that for him. So yeah, always a soft spot for Akron, Ohio, as well, because that's where he lived, and obviously he had LeBron a bit later. Anyway, where I was going with that. So yeah, when I was doing stop, a PWN radio, I tried getting Rob Butcher on as a guest. I think I like did some weird shit and hunted him down on Facebook and like sent him a message saying, Oh, you'd be a great interview. And he was just like, nah, not interested, mate. Oh, I think he's well over like... wrestling now. Cause he was like writing for power slam in the early days. And I think he did a few interviews for him. And then yeah. obviously all the tape training and stuff. And he was just like, nah, not bothered. Yeah. Mate, you should use your, uh, Finn Martin connect to try and get him. Yeah. With <laughs> That'd be, you get them to on a podcast. That'd be a reunion. Oh, oh yeah. definitely. What a legend yeah. Finn was when we met him at that, uh, that WrestleCon in Manchester. Great. Didn't you buy him oh, a pint, JP? I did. Um, I did. Stood chatting to him there for a good while because he was like, I mean, for all of us, it was like a. He was the guy who kind of provide, who opened the door. Oh, definitely. In that kind of way of entirely changed the way I ended up thinking about wrestling because I'd never. I called hotlines before that, so I was aware that you know maybe wrestling wasn't on the up and up believe it or not. Yeah, because um, they had a hotline, didn't they, in the early days, Power Slam? I oh, think they it was, did. like, Finn Martin reading off, like, results and oh, things like that. Did I, did I ever tell you? I like, got in with my mum over that oh, fucking hotline. Amazing. I, I used to go to, like, the. I'm sure I've said this on one of the podcasts, I used to go to, like, the local local Mega Bowl, and I found out that if you, you know, if you dialed, um, and, and I think it was, I think it was a case of, if you, if you put 10p in, you could dial, and then you could talk for a while, but after, like, your two minutes were up, the other person at the other end of the phone couldn't hear you, but the phone stayed connected. So I used to put the 10p in, ring up the, the hotline, and get the hotline for free. 
I always used to worry that every time I went back to the bowling alley that I was going to get like pulled in the back and told off or someone was going to tell my mum but that's a good tip for you rather than uh, I definitely run up my mum's bill a few times with like the power slam hotline at times but you know good little tip that it was a uh, you could have done that in the 90s I can I imagine JP done. was uh, running his parents' phone bill up with uh, some other lines as well, weren't you? <laughs> <Nah. laughs> oh, eight, nine, eight. No, <laughs> that wasn't me. <laughs> well, yeah, thought. I went to the... Uh, sadly, I didn't go to that 92 tour, but I went to the... Because uh, um, Sheffield Arena opened, only opened in early 90s, so uh, WF used to run there all the time. Um, I think WCW ran there as well, but I think they drew like really, really poorly. Um but then, yeah, when they announced this uh, WCW tour in 94, my dad was like, right, this is the last time I'm taking you to any fucking wrestling. <laughs> so you can pick whatever you want. And we're like, oh, well, there's this one in Birmingham. So he took me and my brother along to that one. And um, I remember me and my brother walking past him, Martin, and like, going, oh, my God, that's the guy from Power Slam, you know, because we're only 12. <laughs> Give me a break. But, um, yeah, I mean, probably not quite as good as the tours JP went to. But still had a... Uh, Vader against Guardian Angel. I, I distinctly, I can't remember much from the shows, but I remember uh, Vader putting uh, Bossman through a table and then about two people chanting ECW, which uh, me and my brother as these two 12-year-old smarks thought was absolutely fucking brilliant. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, Sting was on there. I had Steve Austin against Brian Pillman, which was brilliant. And then oh. Flair against Hogan as the main event. So uh, pretty good show all in all. But, um, I mean... JP, did you go to the tour where the Arn and Sid incident happened at a hotel in Blackburn? I don't think that was the tour. I'm just having a look now that I... W well, it was... Because they came twice in 93, didn't they? Like, I think early on in the year, and I think it was later on in the year that the uh, infamous Blackburn ah. hotel incident happened. So I was there early on the year. The two cards I went to, absolute polar opposites. So that one, where just looking at it now, was on there. They had... Paul Orndorff, Michael Hayes, Barry Windham, Dustin Rhodes, oh. Max Payne, Cactus Jack, Johnny B. Bad, Vinny Vegas, Van Hammer, Scotty Flamingo, Davy Boy Smith, Rick Rude, and then Sting beating Vader. So you're like, fuck it, it was yeah, that's alright, card that, isn't it? Completely. There's some fan cam of that on YouTube as well. Oh, it was wild because when he won, I was just like, that's not meant to happen. Why is this happening? It was like, so I knew. I had an, an inkling of what was going on in terms of how they were putting stuff together, but I couldn't work out how he could win. And it wasn't on TV and it wasn't on a big pay-per-view, but the, the card I went to in, in late 91, Jesus Christ, completely <laughs> different story here. Jimmy Garvin, Steve Regal, Michael Hayes, um, diamond stud Regal in 91 Regal in 91. That must've been like a tryout. man. Yeah. That must've been a tryout. Yeah. Um, Johnny B. Bad, Terence Taylor. Um, constant theme of, of probably what we'll talk, Johnny B. Bad. Bill Kazmaier, Dustin Rhodes and Sting um, versus Mr. Hughes, Oz and Rick Rude. Oh, God. Uh, Steiner <laughs> Brothers. for your mum, that one, JP. It, it really is. As Steiner Brothers um, beat the Enforcers. And in the main event, Lex Luger, PN News. Okay. <laughs> 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 and everyone thought that house show they did in 2000 weren't it like Ron and Don Harris headlining at Manchester Arena that's right yeah I was, people I, thought oh, that was bad I was there live at that one that was uh, that was rough but I don't know PN News is like I think he's still headlining like all star shows now like I think he was up until a couple of years ago he was still doing shows over here but yeah I don't know if he's uh, he's earned that headline actor duty there 
<laughs> yeah, because he had like that. Yeah, they're still doing all star camp shows based on that one headliner <laughs> he did in London. Yo, baby, yo, baby, ago. yo. He he didn't draw that night. I can tell you that. Much. <laughs> Do you and remember I, the I, match? I can't remember the match at all. I can remember the six man. I remember Johnny B. Bad. I remember the Steiner brothers because. Um, like I was able to stick my hand out and, and Scott Steiner hit the hand. Didn't really realise what the hell he was gonna end up becoming by the by the late nineties. Um but yeah, and uh, that main got. event, I remember nothing about it other than PN News was there and he used to be on the front cover of WCW magazine at points. <laughs> I'll have a look. What the fuck is he up to now, PN News? <laughs> he was definitely living over here for a while because I know he was like, because he was doing All Star. I'm sure he was based in Merseyside, and it was like one of those weird kind of just like trivia notes that somehow became over here and continued to work for years. But I was always a fan of him. I was like, like when I, when when the, when Sky right. started showing like the old WCW Saturday <laughs> nights, he seemed to be on like every episode. Like they were definitely going hard on that push. Are they what? Do you know what his new his last gimmick was? Cannonball Grizzly. Guess at uh, his last matches were in 2016. Oh, guess what one of them was? Go on, WAW. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is is EWP, which is probably like one of those kind of shindy German companies out who do, there. Who's he working his last match, Shippy? Um, Hernandez. <laughs> it was a title, he was champion. That. It was a title change. What the fuck? What PN News beat Hernandez? No, no, no. Hernandez beat PN News. JP, are you on Cage Badge? Yes, I am. Look at the history of a WAW title. So you see how long PN News reign was, and who he beat for it. <laughs> oh no, I don't know if I don't know. Was he a challenger? If he was. If he was champion there, I'm talking about the German Shindy promotion. Ah, sorry, mate. Sorry about that. I'm looking at what titles he's held in his career. Has he? uh, No. Oh, do you know what? Tell a lie. He was WAW undisputed world heavyweight champion for 180 days (laughs) in 2003. Six months. Yeah, that can't find any detail about any matches he had over that time period. But yeah. (laughs) I hope he was just sat at home with the belt. Yeah. <laughs> he he kept Britt Ress alive, just... didn't he? <laughs> there you go. That's He's all over the Brookside Diaries as well, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, I think he was close <laughs> with Robbie. Oh, Jesus. Amazing. WCW used to run uh, Germany all the time, didn't they? I was looking back at some of the cage match stuff like earlier today, and they used to like run Oberhausen all the time, and they do like week tours all around Germany. They were absolutely mm-hmm. huge over there. Obviously, that DSF Sport connection. And then I think they even ran like German only pay per views in like the late nineties and early two thousands in Oberhausen to like you know big crowds. Mm. Yeah, in- I think literally it's that big arena, isn't it? Is it the Heineken Arena now, JP? Oh, is that what they renamed it? Because it was the Koenig Pilsner. Oh, maybe it's Koenig Pilsner, yeah, yeah. There. David Hasselhoff played there, but that looked like the, the kind of arena. Um, although, it'd have been fun to see what the turban... Imagine the turban haller looked exactly the same as it does today. <laughs> they they, wouldn't, they wouldn't, have, wouldn't have gone there. That would have been a shock to the system. Amazing. Did you used to buy the WCW magazine all the time, JP? Because I know oh, I bought quite a few issues of it. Yep, all the time. I don't really know why in hindsight. <laughs> all these wrestling magazines, they were terrible, weren't they? Oh, they were, like all the Aptomax. I'd buy them and read them religiously and just kind of look at the top ten lists and be fascinated. 
And it was, yeah, I was just like thinking, oh, one day I'll get to go to an IWCCW show. Um, but yeah, uh, WCW magazine, yeah, all over that. Yeah, I've got a I remember one issue I'd like a uh, trading card of uh, Missy Hyatt from the bikini contest and when me and my mates were 11 that was as close to porn as you were going to get <laughs> see I just had Sonny pullouts from WWF magazine in 1996 that's a <laughs> that's a level above that um, I was going to say yeah I've, I've got like a big collection of WCW magazines but again they're all like 1996 onwards mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they're at my mum's unless she's throwing them away uh, with a lot of all the other old wrestling stuff that's the problem with mums they don't really understand the uh, the high value these items have got um but yeah that was kind of my era for WCW. i mean for you joe were you kind of you, did you jump was it like the nitro era was it like going back and watching tapes uh, like, ah did... mate it was well after nitro was, was over it? Like, wow. yeah yeah for me i was at i was at college uh and like i didn't so i remember watching wcw on itv hmm. like way back in the day but I don't remember a lot about it. I remember like a few characters. I can remember seeing Sting because of the distinctive hair and the face paint and stuff. Yeah. I remember Ric Flair, but I think I might even remember Ric Flair because he was in WWF for that run when I was like five as well. Uh, but I remember the toys. I remember the WCW ring. And I remember there was like a kind of crowd that they sort of had that came with the WCW ring as well. If I remember rightly, like an animated crowd and like this thing that went up. And then there was, I think, a cage with the ring as well. Yeah, that was the, the toys were the worst because they were just like sort of like rubber figures that didn't yeah. move, weren't they? But they had yeah. the better ring compared yeah. to WWF's uh, toy ring. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can remember more of like seeing like toys and the sticker book around and stuff so i was like aware of it and would see it on tv occasionally but i wouldn't say i was into it so like for me i didn't see any wrestling for years because i never had sky so i didn't i didn't pick up wrestling again really until sort of like late 99 during the attitude era so i had like all of my mates were into wrestling at that point in time they all went off it by like the invasion and i've probably said it on here before but after the invasion, I was left just watching it on my own, basically. Like, I had my brother as well, uh, and I was really into wrestling for years and years. I had no one to talk to about it. was all over the forums as a result of that, and would just read about these like classic WCW matches from the early mm. 90s. And was like, oh, I wouldn't mind seeing a few of these. So I remember uh, the Raja forums back in the day at a thread where people used to upload matches. So I remember downloading a couple of individual matches and being like, fucking hell, this is actually really good. And then I'd seen a lot of WCW tapes down at Cash Converters. And there was a little, uh, remember those like classic video exchange shops you don't get anymore, where you'd get loads of secondhand CDs, secondhand videos, uh, and then just like other random items like retro posters and T-shirts and stuff in there that people had given in. There was one of them down by me as well. So I remember exchanging a load of CDs, sort of like new metal CDs, where you're like (laughs) Puddle of Mud, Half a Roach, like... (laughs) After that phase was sort of over, and I remember trading them in and getting a load of these WCW videos that they had there, and also doing the same in the cash converters because they were like a door away from one another, basically. Um, so it would have been, I reckon, 2000, summer 2004, I'm pretty sure it was, between my first and second year of college. And I remember buying Capital Combat 90, and I want to say, is it Wrestle War 90, the one with uh, Flair and Lex Luger as the yeah. main event? Yes. Yeah, I remember Red cover. Yeah, yeah. And there was another one I got from 90 as well. Fuck. Capital Combat's on a Robocop, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the one. 
I f- pre- yeah, so it was that one. It was Wrestle War. And I'll look it up in a minute, but there was mm. one more I managed to get. And straight away, I was hooked. Like, I knew Brian Pillman from, obviously, the WWF run. But I had no idea about Flying Brian and the tag team with the Z-Man. And I remember straight away watching uh, Flying Brian and the Z-Man against the Midnight Express and just falling in love and being like, fuck me, this is great. Mm. And then I was down at Weasel's, the old exchange shop, and, and uh, Cash Converters, trying to get old tapes as much as I could. And then I was onto eBay buying tapes for like £2 a piece and getting them delivered to the house. Good so life. I had like a full collection of like as many WCW tapes from like 89s. I think Starcade 89 I had on tape mm. up to, I want to say, 93, maybe Slambery 93 was like the latest one that I had. And then it just seemed like the tapes just kind of stopped at that point. So mm. yeah, I was way later to the party. Like yeah. I was what? how many years 12 13 years behind say martin and jp there see for me like i'm i'm not that far behind but it's the stories like dead similar because like yeah same thing it was the the going back and watching the video because like i think like you said there like when your family gets sky is such a big impact on like when you become a wrestling fan and how you kind of journey into different stuff because for me for me my, my growing up like 1919 1991 1992 i was as hardcore a wwf fan kid as you could be but it was purely through like the odd tape that my mum and dad had by me and then like going around to my friends who had sky like that break in 1994 when uh, you know, basically all your mates stopped watching wrestling like that that little period there is the one period i'd say that's like a big gap in my 90s wrestling viewing but in 1995 when my family actually got sky that's when i was bang back into it and like for me that was the point where i became like the biggest fan i could be and i was i was going to my for me it wasn't a case of buying those wcw tapes i went to like my local video shop and my local video shop for whatever reason just basically had every wcw tape from like Right through, like, there was some NWA stuff, but, like, right through from 1990 to 1993. And, like, for me, it's, like, a hardcore 2WF fan. Like, you're saying there, Joe, like, it's it's years and years later. But even in 1995 and 1996, I'm watching these 1993 WCW tapes. And to me, at that point, it's, like, it's, like, this ancient bygone era of wrestling. Oh, yeah. It's, like, not familiar to me. And, like, the difference, like, three years make. Like, I think I'm pretty sure the first tape I rented was Super Brawl 3. It's got the uh, the Benoit Two Cold Scorpio is like I think that's, that's match two. It's got that strap match main event. I remember getting Wrestle War ninety one mainly because it was a fifteen and I managed to bully my dad into getting into getting it for me for that <laughs> Sting Squadron War Games match. But I was the same way. I was watching it like through this this WWF tinted like ro- not rose tinted spectacles, but just this weird way of viewing it. And I'm watching these tapes and like I'm I'm looking at it and like. Like Martin and JP, especially being like big WCW fans, are probably cringe. But I'm going, oh look, it's Flash Funk. Oh, here comes Freddy. <laughs> here comes Freddy Joe Floyd. Oh my God, there's Man Mountain Rock. This must be years ago. And like, as a, to me as a kid, that that was my like my window into WCW. Obviously, after getting all the tapes, you start to realize, fuck, this is way better than all the stuff I've been watching <laughs> when I was younger. But I think you have a different yeah experience of it as well because you you're kind of watching it in the wrong order. So all all the things that jump out that are wrong with the booking don't really bother you too much especially when you're a kid but like in a way that's kind of a nice way of viewing it i reckon joe like for us to just go back and to be able to cherry pick and be able to kind of yeah watch it from watch it with a different set of eyes than maybe you know if you're watching it live you'd be just getting frustrated by the booking and the other things that surround wcw oh yeah i think like by that point i was just kind of obsessed with wrestling and had no one to kind of talk to about it so 
it was kind of like my main hobby at that point in time because all of my mates were into all of my other hobbies like mm. football films etc so i had an outlet for that uh whereas i was just going on forums constantly and a lot of this stuff would get discussed and i remember looking for um it's uh the wild-eyed southern boys against uh the midnight express I love that match and the I remember people raving about it, and it was on one of the tapes I bought, but I just can't think. Let me look it up. I'm going to look it up. But, yeah, it was on one of the tapes that I bought. I remember just being like, oh, my God, that's probably the best tag team match that I've ever seen. So, like, where, you know, JP and Martin were watching it through innocent eyes. Mm. Unfortunately, I missed out on that experience and was watch, watching it. And I'm not going to say through educated eyes, but through <laughs> the eyes of someone who maybe knew a little bit more about wrestling as kind of a work at the age of 17 or the rest of it. But, yeah, this was like a real insight because it was really the first sort of alternative wrestling that I watched to WWE mm. or WWF. So it was like the first kind of like real difference in style that I'd ever seen. And to be honest, I went from this and loving this style and then found Ring of Honor, really got into Ring of Honor. And then that led on to, say, 90s All Japan and New Japan where we are today. So this was kind of like the gateway away from kind of WWE, if anything. So mm. it's kind of responsible for shaping a lot of what I kind of love about wrestling, if anything, and the sort of style, the work rate that I love, and the type of wrestlers that I really appreciate and respect, if anything. Mm. Yeah, I'm same. I think WCW was a big gateway for me, because obviously seeing Mooter and the guys like that, and I was oh, like, wow, sure. these are doing stuff. It, although, you know, after sort of 89, 90, Mooter was, I think he would never went out of first gear in WCW. But still, you know, seeing that handspring elbow and do, doing the moonsaults and all the high-flying stuff and Liger, you were like, wow, I've got to see more of these guys. So that's uh, what made me track down a lot of Japanese wrestling. Mm. But um, to go back to the tape distribution over here, it was weird because they had it sort of like 92 about 93, then you couldn't buy anything. And then I seem to remember seeing like sold out 98 in HMV and then nothing after that. And then I seem to remember... In the dying days of WCW, WH Smith had like, you know, all the 2000 pay-per-views and things like that. Yeah, so, yeah, it was really that. weird with the tape distribution but they were, over here. But they were like, I think they were like minimized versions. They were like hour and a half version of the shows or two hour version of the shows, weren't they, in that period? I think I remember yeah, that. Yeah, they had like a best of Slamboree or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't like the full shows. It was weird. So I think there is that gap. So I always just thought it was in my local video shop stopping, stocking stuff in 93. But I think it, there was like until that big boom period i think it was nigh on impossible to get those kind of tapes over here and you did have to rely on the likes of dsf and and the hooky means that uh, the jp mentioned but i think even sort of like i think that's some kind of like uh mailing list because i remember going to, i don't know if it was car boot sale or what now and this guy had all these official wcw tapes all the 97 pay-per-views all the 98 pay-per-views and things like that and he was selling them all for like 50p each it was when you know, when we were all transferring from video to DVD, so I bought them all. And I had, like, this address in England somewhere where you could have ordered all these videos from. So I think they were uh, doing all the NWO stuff. As, were like, they a PAL or NTSC it. tapes? Um, I'm not sure. They, they worked on my video player anyway. I'm, I think that was a strictly PAL mm. machine. Okay. So, yeah, That'd be interesting been... to know a little bit more about if anyone maybe signed up to that. Because I've never heard about that before. No, me neither. And I ended up flog I ended up flogging them all because you know when um I think when the network started oh, and you yeah. couldn't uh, no no it was before the network started and you couldn't get any WCW like pay per views anywhere and all the tapes going for like fifty quid each and stuff on Amazon so yeah I listed them all on there and made quite a bit of money off them but I kept one <laughs> which was the uh, 
which was the pay-per-view from Germany, and that was official tape as well. I think it was a 97 NWA takeover. And, I mean, some decent matches on there, but then the main events like Hall and Nash just fucking, like, just taking the piss, basically. <laughs> They've blatantly been drinking beers all day, sort of thing. <laughs> One of my big life regrets is, like, when... The video, sh- my local video shop that I mentioned, they they shut down in the mid nineties. Must have been hard yeah. time. You know, DVDs started coming out towards the end of the late nineties. People weren't uh, weren't maybe going to the local video shop quite as much. And I remember them shutting down. And like, I regret to this day not going in on like the shutting down day and just going like going in with me dad and going, listen, mm-hmm. I'll give you twenty quid. Just give me all your WCW tapes because there's yeah. no way they were all definitely going in the bin at that point. Like I really wish because they'd be worth the weight in gold now, especially like yeah, yeah with the, with the, with the network having like the the edited version of the shows as well. I do wish I had like a line to like the like the official real stuff from like that early nineties period. It's interesting you say as well about those tapes later on being clipped because these tapes as mm. well weren't the full versions of the pay-per-views. Oh, no. yeah, there'd be matches missing, wouldn't there? Yeah, and there'd be bits yeah. of matches. So I remember being really excited to watch um, Pillman Liger from Super oh, yeah. 2 <laughs> when I managed to track down that tape. And I remember think, like being really pumped to watch it, reading all this stuff about it. I was on like a real Pillman bend at the time, if anything. Mm-hmm. And it was like eight minutes. And I was like, oh, like that was good. But is that it? And then I looked, I remember looking on like, I don't know if it was Wikipedia or what, but there was a listing with the match times. It was like 20 minutes. Was like I'm sure that was like eight minutes because being a sad bastard, I used to not go full Green Lantern fan and use a stopwatch. <laughs> but I'd like, <laughs> be looking at the time on my watch or like on my phone what time the match started and how long it was kind of thing and i remember thinking now nah, that definitely wasn't right so i remember finding the 20 minute version uploaded somewhere online like maybe a month or so later i'm being like right now i get this and that was when i sort of realized how clipped a lot of the shows were so like i was watching beach blast 92 the other day and i'd never seen ron simmons versus uh, the tailor-made man because it wasn't on the vhs release that i had mm. so you do get a lot of clipping with a lot of these older releases also just to add i've just remembered it was the great american bash 1990 which was the other tape that i bought that the southern boys versus the midnight express is on yeah, I think there was wasn't there something from Turner like home video where they had to be two and a half hours long. And I remember that was really controversial about that uh, Liger Pillman match because everyone, you know, Melser raved about it and everyone wanted to watch it. So, but yeah, you could in the UK mm. if you couldn't find it off a tape trade, you had to watch this sort of like clip version that was on the on the video on the official release. Well, no one cares about midgets, mate. <laughs> Vanilla midgets. <laughs> yeah. What were you doing during this period, JP? Like, how were you, like, keeping up with WCW during, like, the the tape era? So, at that point in time, I was able to watch it on DSF and and record it as well. um, Because just being able to get through it that way. And still, while I was at university, there was internet, so I was able to follow stuff kind of as it happened. I remember reading a website called Online Onslaught over that time period. So I could just go into one of the computer rooms, log in, and just end up reading it. And it was as quick as internet was going to be in sort of 96, 97. So I was able to kind of follow a lot of the Monday Night Wars as it happened. And I think it was in 95, it, uh, WCW went on, TN, uh, went on TCM. I think it was like, I want to say it was Turner Classic Movies. It was certainly like the TNT equivalent that we had over here. It was mainly old films. And then they would have WCW on after. It was like car- Cartoon Network during the... And so I was able to keep up with a lot of stuff. And I was kind of... 
you could hear on the old DSF when you were watching on there, you could hear the American commentary. Mm. You just kind of had like you could hear enough of it. So I was like, oh, okay, fine. I can get an idea of how enthusiastic Shivoni is and stuff like that. Um, but I was like, yeah, I was able to keep up, you know, sort of very much after that period. But it's famous of WCW. They were terrible at merchandising. They mm. didn't produce um, mm. DVDs at all. I think the only one they did was that Japanese DVD. Oh, for fuck's sake. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to... Go on. Go on, JP. Oh, wait. It's it's another show in and of itself. No, it's, we want to hear it. It's worth reviewing as an entity. It's it's basically WCW in the year 2000, and they mm. produced a compilation. And what it's closest to is, have you all seen um, Exit Through the Gift Shop? Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you remember the film that um, the guy, Thierry Guetta, makes called Life Remote Control? Makes, mm. makes quote, unquote. Yeah, 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 exactly. But it's just like this horrifically quick cuts flash of just noise and nonsense. <laughs> well, this is like the wrestling equivalent of that. It hurts your head after a while. Two hours of Jeff Jarrett guitar shots, which I'm able to tolerate a lot more than most other people. Mm. Um, but yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Joe, you took me off course by mentioning it. Oh, sorry, mate. You didn't do that DVD enough justice. The amount you used to talk to me about that DVD. <laughs> like, for years, you were like, yeah, this one DVD they released for Japan market only, Millionaire's Club. Was versus I a builder some... at the time? <laughs> <laughs> mate, you still are now. You've spent time with builders. <laughs> Amazing. True. Sites, come on, though, because I know they're still going strong, aren't they? Um, can we get your thoughts on that, JP? Sorry, you completely cut out there. Went wild. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll convenience. So Sorry, say that again. I said, can I get your can I get your thoughts on the uh, building trade still going strong during the coronavirus? It, it's. <laughs> <laughs> Why I'm laughing about it? It's a horrific situation, and there is no build. Well, actually, you say that there are people out doing work, but not building per se. People like doing roadworks and stuff. Does that count? No, nah, mate, the building trade hasn't closed down during the pandemic here. Have you yeah. not seen? Yeah, they're kind of they're no. supposed to only be staying yeah. open for hosp- building hospitals and things like that. But there's definitely yeah, lots going on. They're building some flats around the road from me. I saw them there today. Anyway, yeah, sorry, that Millionaire's Club Jesus. DVD, JP, you went on about for ages. And we watched it before. Was it All In we watched it before? Yes. Yeah, and it was a great time to be fair, but it was a it was a terrible DVD to say the least. But <laughs> <laughs> I've got this image now. Joe was like every time he he goes into work, he's like, "Oh, did you have a good weekend?" He's like, "Oh, did they ever tell you about this WCW?" <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't actually. That's not far off the truth, Mark. <laughs> Didn't you find it on a Russian torrent site with one cedar after like five years of looking for it or something? I did. <laughs> I got it. Did that Gaza documentary ever turn up? Well, yes. Yes and no. This is a story for another um, one. We have the wrong version, don't we, JP? There are two versions of it, and we have access to one of them. I can't go into it in too much detail. Massively appreciated. So we're trying to get our hands on the first one, which is a BBC one, which in this time of need, and they're looking for content... Stick it on Saturday night. You don't need fucking Mrs. Brown's boys, do you? <laughs> All that Gary Lineker podcast thing. Gaza in China. We've got desperate folks, but here you go. I'd appreciate it. 
Uh, did you, on the last leg, they had a, a live vote on Friday about what show you want to Channel 4 to bring back, and Brookside was the overwhelming majority vote about which show Channel 4 should bring back now they've got no original programming. Oh, you could do that. Oh, Everyone's yeah, trapped in their that. houses in the close. You could do like a full social distancing like series of Brookside. <laughs> Easily done. I'd tell you, yeah, you could, couldn't you, in that place? Massive front guards, like crazily <laughs> big, weren't they? We had a Wouldn't great time. you be up? For a full the Jordash angle. Absolutely. I'd be watching yeah. that. If that was on, that'd be series record and I'd be binging on that over this uh over this social isolation period, let's say. Amazing. Well it very much feels that Barry and Terry is is very much their sort of Austin Rock feud, isn't it? Uh, if we're going WCW though, going nineties, I'd reckon they're almost Steiner Brothers like, mate. Oh, they are, but they they feuded a lot more, and the Steiner brothers never yeah. did until late WCW. Yeah, and to be fair, Scott Steiner's turn on Rick Steiner doesn't hit him very hard. I was always disappointed with that. It's always quite a weak turn, I think. Yeah. Could could they be their Flair Steamboat, or is that too high lof- lofty praise? Maybe they're their uh, Johnny B. Bad Diamond Dallas Good. Page because I feel like that like opens every WCW <laughs> pay per view in this period. Yeah, <laughs> at least Johnny B. Bad opens every fucking WCW show for about five wow. years in a row. It's ridiculous, isn't it? And like a lot of the time, it's him. Indeed, it's like he drew, DDP drew the short straw and just round up in there with fucking Mark Mero every month. Oh, the state of... I mean, I know we're going to talk about it later, but the state of fucking DDP on that Spring Stampede show. And then it's just the contrast of Kimberly, this stunning woman, and then DDP (laughs) comes out looking like a fucking bum, and you're like, wow. The diamond doll. He's looking better now. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the people who's aged better. Like, now it's like, what is he now? Like, 70-something like that? Like, he's getting... Yeah, he's 63. 63, is he? Oh, okay, he's not quite as old as I thought. It was still, though, for, like, his age. 26 years later, and he looks better. Yeah, I'm still wrestling as well. Incredible. But then when you've got to hit the ring and all you've got to do is hit the diamond cutter. Uh, I yeah. feel like, yeah, you've got a lengthy career in you. But I suppose we've uh, we've touched on it there. Should we get into um, Spring Stampede 94? I suppose we can talk like the the era of WCW we're in. Like, I think all of us on the line would agree the best WCW era is the pre-Hogan era. And this is kind of like the reason you mentioned it on the podcast, Joe, is like this is kind of it's the end, isn't it? It's the end of like the WCW we all love on those tapes or the, the uh, JP and Martin kind of lived through. This is like there's mentions of Hogan on tape, uh, you know, on the commentary. There was a I think they, they kind of half false advertised that he was going to be turning up in the crowd for this show. It is proper the end of like for at least for us, the glory is of WCW and the, uh, the, the, the almost start of the Hogan era. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It was one of the best pay-per-views to go out on. Like, It felt like this was a sort of almost like semi-work-rate pay-per-view to some extent. Mm. And it was the end of that sort of era in WCW as the laziest twat in existence came <laughs> into the company. And as he came into the company, gave, you know, changed the style quite dramatically yeah. and made room for the likes of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall to decide that they, you know, couldn't be bothered to wrestle anymore when they signed as well. So it was a great pay-per-view for for that era to end with, I mm. think, if anything. Yeah. It was also like it seemed like you say it was like, you know, obviously they had slumbery after this, but it was like the real turning point. Because a lot of the sort of like crew was changing around, weren't they? Mm. Obviously they'd lost uh, Jim Ross a while back, but then sort of like Missy Hyatt had been doing all the uh 
all the sort of like backstage interviews she'd mm. gone jesse ventura i mean he was never going to be long as soon as hogan signed obviously <laughs> you know the writing was on the wall for him because obviously he was trying to set up that union and apparently oh. hogan grassed him up and to vince he, so he, he just he, he just got his million from vince as well hadn't he like he done like, yeah they mentioned it at the start don't they he said something to like me and gene about like being he's got loads of reasons to be happy or whatever at the start of the feeling like a million dollars well. <laughs> yeah yeah that's it yeah. did you read the observer for this show ben no. I did. I had a little look at that in the yeah, torch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that comes up, doesn't it? Meltzer yeah. didn't really seem to love this show. No, he didn't, which surprised me. Um, it did feel like there was a kind of sense of dread in his voice or in his uh, written voice when he mm. was talking about Hogan coming in. I did get that impression slightly. But the thing I found fascinating was, one, the Jesse stuff, because he was gloating on the show, but I didn't know it was that weak. I, I don't know if me and JP were too busy um, making our club sandwiches at the time, which were <laughs> excellent, weren't they, JP? They really were very <laughs> good. That yeah. that spicy cheese you got, that was, that was Oh, the Mexicana. Yep. Yeah, melting really? that, went down a tree, couple of good slices of bacon you fried up, mate. Gherkins as well I got in. Oh, good good bit of sourdough bread as well. It was a great <laughs> night with some great food. Great sarnie. But the, <laughs> the one thing that I sort of was amazed at as well was this is the week of the Jesse uh, issue. Mm. Uh, it was also the same week as the um, Super J Cup, the first one. Oh, I didn't see and that. And it was also the week of, I think it was the Champions Carnival final in all Japan. And it was the legendary Kawada-Steve Williams match in 94 as well. Like, what an absolute wild week for wrestling this was, like, Jesus. in hindsight. Like, so much going on. Like, proper excitement. Mm. What a time to be I, I didn't read The Observer, but I listened to uh, Bischoff's podcast um, oh, no. uh, talking about <laughs> Spring Stampede. But one of the funny stories was, um, I think it was around the same time period that uh, Two Cold Scorpio uh, got released for testing positive for weed too many times. And, and like, Conrad asked Bischoff about it, and he's like... Around that time, you, you it would take minimal effort not to, you know, ping a drug test because drug tests were virtually non-existent. But two <laughs> Cold Scorpio literally didn't give that much of a fuck that he was just like getting high for eight hours a day, and you know, so I, I just had to let him go because he was failing too many drug tests. Isn't the story <laughs> walked into WWE like into a room with Pat Patterson? Got his knob out and put it on the table, and that's how he got signed. <laughs> I don't know if we're talking about who gives too many fucks out with two Cold Scorpio. I don't know if that's true. That's just a rumor. Brilliant. JP, was Two Cold Scorpio on the show that you went to with your mum? <laughs> I'm just trying <laughs> Mandingo. No. <laughs> Sorry. No. <clears throat> Amazing. <laughs> Sorry. Over Sorry. <laughs> he also told a story about this lawsuit that Missy Hyatt... Uh, and apparently she jumped into the ring at Starcade 93 and had a bit of a wardrobe malfunction. And the production crew freeze-framed it, blew it up to a massive poster size, and had it as a poster in the back for everyone to ogle. And I was like, what the fuck? Amazing. I, I listened to like some of uh, Shivani's podcast with Conrad. And that did come up. But he did. He, I think he said, oh, no, I, if there was a poster, I would have seen it. He well saw it. He, well, like, he, would have. he took a copy home, you know, big time. <laughs> yeah, dirty bastard. Yeah, he ripped it down, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, uh, but yeah, like weird, like WCW kind of era. Like to, to to sum it up, like in reading the Observer, like you, like you did, Joe, and uh, doing some like research like around this show. I love that, like on the, apparently in the dark matches on this show, and I think they do reference it on the broadcast, don't they? They had uh, Danny Bonaducci against Christopher Knight in a in a Partridge Family versus Brady Bunch match. 
Like, oh yeah. Two two actors having a match. Unfortunately, doesn't make tape. I think there's a Sullivan Brothers match as well. It doesn't make tape. Uh, I'd love to see uh, how bad that thing turned out. Is there a fan can out there? I wonder. <laughs> Got to be. <laughs> but yeah, it was just it was it was a weird like that's the thing about this era of WCW. Like it was. It was always feeling mainly rudderless, wasn't it? With like the constant changes in creative, pushes at stop start. Like going into this pay per view, I think Steve Austin was getting a big push. Like that's one thing I heard Tony Schiavone say. Like the office were high on Steve Austin. They were expecting like big things out of him. Obviously, you know, the Hogan era comes in and scuppers that. It's just, yeah, it's one of those shows where it's like it's a moment in time where you look at it and just think, oh, this is all the different elements of wcw clashing but also you know how history could have been so different if yeah we didn't have hogan coming in to crash the party well i think it was around this time period that they started cutting everyone's wages as well didn't they i think austin Uh, and pilmer both asked for more money and they cut their uh, wages and obviously all the wrestlers were like well you're bringing in hogan for all you know they were reading all kinds of figures he was going to get 40 percent of the pay-per-views and he was getting x amount of money for each Mm. show and what have you and you know if you're a wrestler and you you're getting like 50 grand knocked off your wages you're going to be like well what what am i doing wrong sort of thing (laughs) yeah that same uh that same bit is in the observer actually martin about the new austin and pilman contracts now they shopped to wwe as well um and considered going there could have jumped a year earlier. I wonder what would have happened if they jumped a year earlier. Like, would we have? We would never have got the Brian Pillman loose cannon gimmick. Yeah. Gimmick, obviously. Mm. Uh, what would Austin have done? Would he have got anywhere at that point in time? It's quite a fascinating thing to kind of think about in many ways. I'll tell you what, one person I was watching on here, and I was thinking, and I was, I was, was a big fan watching this stuff back. But I'll tell you what, Dustin Rhodes, they really. Yeah done something with like watching him here in this environment i think he had like main eventer in the making written all over him yeah honestly i think that he was so much better suited as much as gold dust is kind of the gimmick that has defined mm. his career i do think his run is the natural between what 90 and 94 95 i think it was the best run of his career and i think it was the gimmick that was most suited to him and like his level of charisma and his connection with the crowd like during this era as well it's kind of undeniable i just think they missed out on on actually making someone who really did have something at this moment in time and the gold dust gimmick kind of just i don't know i never felt wwf suited his style or suited what he was good at as a worker as mm. great as he was at portraying gold dust if anything yeah do you not it. feel that they felt with with dustin Rhodes that he kind of was a barry windham figure to them in other words, he was like, you could always have good matches. There would always be a crowd connection. But they, they felt there was a limit to him. Because at that point in time, he was still very young. He was very new. I imagine there would have been stuff backstage in terms of accusing him of kind of nepotism as well. So you could imagine with the kind of politicians in the back at that point in time, he would have been kind of held down. And funny enough, I started watching Great American Bash, um, 92. And he was teaming with Wyndham in the... In oh, the, it's a great show, that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, in the in the finals against Williams and Gordy, um, so I often kind of thought that was the case at that point in time. It's much more of a kind of timing issue mm. as much as anything. And then he was off. And then at that point, when when Vince gets him, it's about you know re- taking revenge on Dusty, isn't it? So and at that point, you kind of define and because he did a such a good job. Oh, he made it work. Gimm- bit, bit yeah, like that, it, same as his dad, isn't it? With the polka dots, same thing. Yeah, he could have easily been um, Terry Taylor hmm. in, in that regard, where the gimmick kind of ends up killing a lot of stuff to kind of that that would kind of halt the potential push that you could end up getting. 
and I think it's a bit more dramatic with him, but his career reinvention in the last sort of like year and a half, we all said it last week, when that blood and guts match happens, it was like, why haven't you, why why have you got loaded? Dustin in there? Yeah, yeah he's, he's perfectly set up for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's loads of promos. Well, he cuts a promo on, uh, on this show that we're talking oh. about as well, and he's a mm. really good promo as well. Yeah, shades of his dad in that promo. Like, that's, mm-hmm. I could just see Dusty. Like, that was, but he was like, that's the thing as well. He's stepping into the shadow of his dad, isn't he? But like he, yeah. he got himself. It's one. Of, it's it's really sad because he was so good in this era, and then he made Goldust work, and then unfortunately he had that period where he had all those personal problems. Did the the weird Goldust angle where he was dressing up like a sex doll and doing all the stuff with Luna Vachon. Then he went back to WCW, and bear in mind, like what would that have been like nineteen ninety nine? So we're only talking like five years after this and it's like a completely different man isn't it like he just never they tried the seven thing with him he tried to go back to being dustin Rhodes, and it was only really i think when he, he black rain in tna oh god yeah oh, I, I saw I, I was at a, an impact show at wrestlemania 24 saw black rain i've stood stood just a couple of meters from him social distancing you know probably about two three <laughs> meters my god so out of shape like completely bloated and just awful, like absolutely horrible in the ring. I think it might be the only time I've ever seen him wrestle live. I just have to think about that. But, oh, my God, it was just so bad. And I think that was the point where he had a bit of a breakdown and went and got himself together. Because I remember by sort of 2009-10, he was back in WWE and he had a real sort of Indian summer in WWE for a period. And then they ended up teaming up with Cody. I remember having a really good singles match with Jericho on Superstars. And it was while Jericho was champion. So I'm talking 2009-ish when he's doing the... um, I'm trying to think of what Jericho's gimmick was then. The serious, you know, suited Jericho gimmick and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, But then that kind of led to the tag team with Cody, which I thought brought the best out of him. But at that point as well, the limitations of the Goldust character in the ring were kind of the reins were off with it Mm. it was like at first in the 90s he was having to work so strictly within the character which he did a really good job of but then in that later run he was allowed to have those restrictions kind of taken off him and he wasn't necessarily doing all the gimmicky gold dust stuff with the time and could just work a little bit and do Mm. what he does best if anything I, yeah, I remember one of the uh, early 1PW shows that announced that it was going to be Dustin Rose against Christopher Daniels and then they changed it during their entrances and made it Goldust against Curryman and everyone was like, oh, this is way better. And I'm like, now nah, I would have rather seen the other match, to be fair. <laughs> I've, <laughs> speaking of Brit Rez, I saw him in PCW, like 2013, something like that. And I just remember, like, uh, uh, my Carl who comes up a lot of these podcasts, he went to the toilet in the Evoque nightclub and there he was, Goldust stood there in full gear, putting his face paint on. Like in a Preston nightclub <laughs> in 2013, just thinking, God, how far the mighty have fallen. I thought, like, that's it for him now. I, I wonder what the, the night out in the Stanley Arms was like afterwards. So maybe I should have uh, investigated and found out. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I didn't imagine him making any big comebacks uh, from there on. Do you remember that match he had with Randy Orton? And I say, you know, Randy Orton, not a fan at all. No. But I remember there were two weeks where they did a storyline where I think he wasn't with WWE at the time. And they did a storyline where Cody had to beat Randy Orton to keep his job or something. And then Goldust was brought in for one week, the week after. And I honestly think the match that he got out of Randy Orton, apart from that Foley match, the no DQ one, might be the best match of Randy Orton's career. Like I know that's strong praise. I'm sure... And have one of your mates, Matty Edwards, might chip in, as I know he's a bit more of an Orton expert than oh, yeah. any of us. We are. But I remember the match. I remember like being like 
emotionally invested in a Randy Orton match and it was Dustin Rhodes or Gold Dust that made me care. I'm sure that was what led to the him and Cody tag team because I think it was during like all the Daniel Bryan, um, Triple H, Stephanie bollocks that they were doing at the time. Mm. But yeah, just consistently over the years when he's been able to work and he's been motivated, I think he's one of the most underrated wrestlers maybe ever. Yeah. And I think he's had like three or four Indian summers at this point, and he just keeps going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we could probably talk about Goldust all night, or Dustin Runnels all night, but we'll come back to him a bit later. But should we get into this pay per view? Uh, I mean, yep. we should probably go, go from the start, from the top. I mean, the commentary team, like I, like I said, part of my research for this, I was listening to the Tony Giovanni podcast, and he was making out like he was having the time of his life. Did anyone else feel like Bobby Heenan was genuinely winding him up through this show? Like, oh, I, yeah. I, I thought that he they was were doing great. A Paul Heyman to Jim Ross, weren't oh. he? I thought they worked really well together because obviously they were far more motivated than they would have been a few years later. And mm. I, I've always... My favorite WCW commentary team is Jesse Ventura and, and Jim Ross, but mm. I thought these two worked really well, but completely agree, Benner. I yeah. thought Brain was just trying to wind him up he all was. during this. Shivani just had the face on. Like, maybe he was just playing a, a gimmick and he was playing it well. Like, I I think this was, like, Bobby's second WCW show, so he was still full of, like, enthusiasm and he was paying attention, but he was definitely on a troll job, so, yeah, I'm glad it's not just me there. Oh, he definitely was. I mean, it, it just like there's a image, especially at the very end of the show, where you just see Giovanni sort of facing the camera, turned slightly away from him. Yeah, with Bobby just going going on at him about like why um, about about the finish to the main event, and he's just looking absolutely pissed off. Mm. It's kind of great. It adds to it. I mean, I agree with you, Martin. Like when I think of WCW commentary teams around that period of time, Ross and Ventura kind of. I've forgotten how good they were together, particularly how good Ross was at that point in time before he'd mm. gone to WWF. Um, but still here, like you say, yeah, there's a bit of enthusiasm, isn't there? Yeah, you got to appreciate that. But yeah, I, I thought they were great all night. But yeah, this, the the show proper kicked off with, apparently it was uh, it was the original plan, was Terror Rising versus Tom Zenk for the opener. Apparently that, wow. was, uh, that was advertised, so we could be talking about the Z-Man versus Triple H right now. But... Instead, they gave us Johnny B. I Bad. I wish we weren't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Johnny B. Bad time with Dallas Page. Like, I feel like every retro WCW show you put on, this is uh, this is the opener. Uh, like, you, like you all said, DDP looked... My God, that was a look. Like, how, how he pulled Kimberly Page, mm. I will never know, based off this look. Johnny B. Bad was Johnny B. Bad. Yeah, this is uh, hardly got the highest rating on uh, on Grapple. And yeah, it was, uh, it was an opener, is probably the way to put it. I think the main thing you can say about this opener is how, I mean, I think there were 12,000 people in the crowd and you were so used to seeing WCW pay-per-views around mm. this area, like with, you know, dimly lit arenas and then they've got this mega hot crowd. And I mean, you think about all the shows that have taken place here. I mean, Brett against Austin, WrestleMania 13, Punk v Cena, Money in the Bank 2011, and then, and then this fantastic show as well. And always well up for it whenever they have sort of like a wrestling show here. The crowd are incredible, and I, I didn't I didn't remember that this was in Chicago. So mm-hmm. when I was in Chicago, I thought, okay, that's probably one of the reasons this is such a great show. Hot Chicago crowd. I'll tell you what, though, did uh, he's a, a sort of not a Chicago native, but a Chicago suburbs native. Did anyone see the song? 
sign in the crowd during this one where someone had a sign saying um something, something like sign um tammy and chris did anyone notice that at all no, I missed that. Oh, they were always okay. big in the sheets though like they, they were yeah. always like because they'd oh, yeah. write into the observer and stuff wouldn't they that doesn't surprise me too much that's early for it so though. there's a there's a guy, maybe, I think me and JP had the rows, maybe five, yeah. six rows in. Mm. And he looks quite young. And I was like, okay, so he must be watching his Smoky Mountain Wrestling, this kid, as well. And you're looking, I'm pretty sure, I'm like, yeah, I think he's Asian. And he's wearing glasses. Is that Tony <laughs> Khan? <laughs> Honestly. I would love and then that. During, during the show, there are several yep. other quite smarky signs that he puts up. JP, do you remember what they said? My mind's blanking a bit, but we know we picked up on a few of them, didn't we? Wow. Uh, yeah, there are, isn't there? There's, um, oh, God. I want to say there's something like kind of, it's not anti-Hogan per se, but it is kind of like, oh, yeah, this is happening. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of what they are. I'd have oh, to look at them. There's one during Flair Steamboat, and it says something like, pretend it's 1989 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, mm, Tone might have been a bit young when those matches took place. But he's got the money to buy the tapes. So he's definitely seen them. And you look and you're thinking, he must be, what's Tony Khan, like 40? Like, that mini tone was a smart through and through, it looks like. I'm absolutely sure it's him. If anyone knows if Tony Khan was at Spring Stampede 94, please let us know. Because it'd be, it'd be a great story if it was him. Amazing. No, I didn't sure invite him on the show. <laughs> the live perspective. Uh, that's a, a, a year on from us uh, starting the big tone wanks dogs phenomenon. Uh, we could have him on the show. Uh, I'm sure he'd be our mate. I'm sure he'd be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Miss off from the start of the show because it got me thinking about you guys chatting on the last show about Gronk not having the worldwide appeal oh. that WWE think he's got his. Aaron Rodgers, and I feel like every wrestling event in the early 90s is always open with some singer who nobody outside of America, maybe even nobody outside the southern U.S. states knew. I mean, you had Aaron Rodgers here. I remember wondering who Reba McIntyre was at WrestleMania 8, and I'm sure yeah. there were like loads and loads of other like country and western singers that like I'm sure half of the crowd didn't even know who they were as well. I, w- I found myself in like a wormhole looking up his Wikipedia. Apparently he had like albums that went platinum. They all like charted at highest like in the 30s, but somehow I think they sold for a long enough time that he's got like three or four platinum albums. Like, do you own any of them, JP? If, anyone, if any of the four of us own them, <laughs> I can imagine JP <laughs> being the man who's either torrented them or actually owns the physical CD. Why is JP a big Garth Brooks fan or something? Uh, no, no, <laughs> no not, really, not at all. Country and Western music, don't get it. Don't get it at all. It's, it's kind of lost on me. Um, in fairness to him, though, he sat throughout the entire show. Oh, he looked yeah. like he was absolutely loving it. Mm. Like, he didn't just piss off to the back and go home. He was like, no, I'm sitting, not front row, I'm sitting next to the commentators. And he looked, you know, it's just, it's, it's that he was rocking an unusual look, wasn't he, Aaron? Never. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, very much kind of like early 90s, but... Fair play to him. He watched it. I think he realised he might have thought it's, it's going to be a good work rate. He wants to get close up seeing a Steamboat Flare match, maybe. <laughs> that intricate map work at the beginning. Yeah. That's what you... Yeah, he fucked off after that, didn't he? he just, <laughs> that's, that's all I wanted to see. I've done that. On that Bischoff and Conrad uh, podcast, they were talking about that as well. And, he, and Conrad said he saw some concert footage of him from like the late 90s, early 2000s. And he was wearing like some kind of hog wild... Uh, 
denim jacket that they'd given him. So, yeah, he's obviously a huge fan, you know, <laughs> wearing those jackets to his gigs. It's like when Jim Nice oh, turned up or and wearing, like, WWE 13 merchandise for about, like, up until his death. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's all he'd wear 24 hours a day. Leftover merch. Amazing. But, yeah, he, he was just, like, he was just... My favourite thing was when they cut to the camera and Bobby was trying to break Tony and you just see him in the corner giggling to himself. He well had the... Uh, <laughs> The best seat at the house, but yeah, I don't know. I wonder what he made of the opener. What did what did you get guys give the opener on Grapple? I went I went two point seven five, which actually looking back feels generous, but I enjoyed it for for, for what it was. It was fun. I, it's easy to make fun of Johnny B. Bad. Easy to make fun of DDP in this in this era, but maybe it's the hot crowd. Maybe I'm feeling generous, but I quite enjoyed it. Grapple went with an average of two point nine, so maybe along the same lines there. How about you guys? I went three on this one. I think there was a couple of things where, like, Johnny B. Bad, and as much as easy to, to kind of laugh, it was, like, com- you know, perfectly competent in the ring at this moment in time. It was, like, a very easy watch, and I was very much in the kind of nostalgia trip mode at that stage. Mm. And it's less than six minutes. Yeah. So it's just, I gave it three just probably, you know, completely out of, out of nostalgia as much as anything else. And it was like, ah, oh, Johnny, remember you at the top of the BT Tower with Van Hammer <laughs> introducing all those videotapes. So, yeah, three stars. Wow. Oh, what you yeah, it was, it was inoffensive. I'd give it like a two, I think. Yeah, I went. I, I was thinking uh, Mark Merrow or Johnny B. Bad. I think he gets a bad rap. He did come across as an absolute wanker when he used the Chris Benoit death as an opportunity to get his uh, public oh, yeah. image out there and get on mm. TV a lot. But at the same time, I never thought he was that bad a wrestler. I actually thought he was uh, someone who was easy to have a go at um, and someone who was easy to laugh at because he was, uh, well, he just seemed like a bit of a prick, didn't he? But I went three stars on this one. I always quite enjoyed Johnny B. Bad. I think when he when he leaned into that prick persona, when they were doing like the stuff with him and Sable and like attitude they were doing to me, I think that was the most I ever enjoyed him. What he was doing, like the faux, bo- he was the, well not even faux boxer, doing the full boxer gimmick and just being like the worst. It was the best example of one of those crap, you know, horrible boyfriends with like the hot model girlfriend story. We got about twenty of in the attitude there, and actually still getting a w- WXW now. Uh, but I think that that was that was his favorite role for me. Although yeah, you know, he did have some interest. He was the first person I ever saw do a shoot and star press in WWF and my mind was blown I'd not seen any lager tapes in 1996 yet uh, he did bust out some interest in offense at least as a baby face um, but yeah I think again that, that was I, I saw his openers go I think it worked but yeah we went on to our second match uh, Steven Regal and Brian Pillman uh, I don't know what you, you guys made of this one I'm someone who I'm not a Regal guy like I, I I think I've said before, almost trolling, Mm. Martin, I think I've said before, I don't think William Regal or Steven Regal's ever had a a great wrestling match. And I know that winds a lot of people up, but I do think he's had good ones. And I think he's even had very good ones. And I I think I'd have this one somewhere in between. Maybe Maybe it's the Pillman factor. Uh, the finish isn't great, but all in all, yeah, maybe it just speaks to the good mood this show has put me in. But I would say this is this is up there in the maybe the, the upper end of a uh, regal matches for me. I don't know uh, where are you on it, Martin? Yeah, it's it's not bad, but I um I mean I do love this show, but this one really stands out to me because um, I don't have fond memories of Regal at all from around this time. I think as an annoying little twelve year old, I hated his TV title run and having these time limit draws all the time. I remember his match against Alan Anderson at Super Bowl Fall like sent me to sleep and I thought with fresh eyes it might feel different, but yeah, I think I agree with you, it's around a three star match. I mean love Pillman, but 
I felt I thought it dragged a bit. The crowd seemed really restless for this one, and then obviously the crap time limit finish. But yeah, I wasn't. I think this was my least favorite match on the show out of all of them. Mm. Really? Think, yeah. I I just I just I don't know what it is, but I've never really like liked Regal around this time period. I don't know if it's just because I've got bad memories from being a kid and, yeah. and finding it boring. But even mm. like watching it through fresh eyes, I don't think I can. You know, knock that off out of my, you know, out of my memory. Because mm. I've got to say, I think, and I don't know if JP will agree with me, but I was loving this match. <laughs> like I was really into it. I was thinking this is keeping a proper pace. Like and Regal, what I love about WCW, especially sort of through the nineties, is like there is a lot of random matches where you get weird styles clashes, and they kind of work it out, and you get kind of awkward moments of points. But that's sort of part of the fun of it, I always find. And like this, mm. I thought, just kind of, they kind of found something here. A few awkward moments at times, mostly due to Regal, if anything. But Pillman, I just think, Pillman's one of my favorite wrestlers ever. Like, I think Pillman had so much to give. If it wasn't for that ankle injury, I always wonder where he could have gone ultimately during the Attitude Era as well. Um, and I, oh, man, I was really into this match. Um, I don't know if it's just loving Pillman and getting an opportunity to watch him and all the rest of it because I don't get to watch his matches very often anymore. But mm. no, I thought this one kept a real pace and really sort of dragged me into it, if anything. Yeah, I totally get that I'm the sort of like odd man out because I know that's going to be a controversial opinion. But yeah, just I just just my memories of Regal around this time. But I yeah. do agree, Pillman was great um, in the early nineties. I yeah. can understand the re- I can understand the Regal thing as well, and I, I really enjoyed it at the time. I mean, actually, I think the the big comment me and Joe had about this entire show was for three hours I forgot what was going on in the world mm. and watched a WCW pay per view and just sort of went back into this world with a smile on my face, finding it easy to watch. But my issue with Regal at that point in time was it was just the stereotype of British wrestlers. So there was always a thing in the the early 90s it was like, oh, it's this royal bollocks again, and Bill <laughs> Dundee, the way he was dressed up with the tea and everything else, and the, it's just like, oh, Jesus, it was tedious at that point in time. It's just such a dated gimmick, which is obviously part of, the appeal almost of early 90s WCW. But I really enjoyed it. But it, it uh, one of the things I always feel with this, though, is that like Johnny B. Bad, the amount of opening matches or second matches on WCW pay-per-views that you would have seen around that point in time and him not being kind of elevated to the kind of level he should have been, like possibly like US title and the rest of it. It's, it's just like it makes you kind of reminded by what they had with him. Uh, just being fully fit yeah before he had the car accident mm. yeah absolutely and i think he could he could do so much and he could work with anyone i think he uh, i think it's overlooked just what a diverse almost complete wrestler he was in ring at points like i think he, for me from this period he's in there for me with the benoits and the guerreros of this world yeah i think they went on to do greater things obviously and improved even more as time went on but i think you know 1994 i think you could put benoit and guerrero in there and pillman can match him if pillman was in new japan wrestling say a super j cup or something or in the junior division at this point in time i think you'd have been having classic matches with these guys like have you seen the johnny b johnny b bad match from 1995 i can't think of what pay-per-view it's on uh, but it's a half an hour match that's the opener on a pay-per-view. And honestly, half an hour Johnny B. Bad, that sounds kind of shit. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. 
like the match he gets out of Johnny B. Bad is like pretty special. Like it's honestly, I recommend going out of your way to watch it. And this is Hogan era WCW when Pillman's still managing to work. But you sort of feel sorry for Pillman as well. I read the book that um, Liam O'Rourke wrote. Uh, a couple of years ago Mm. and it just feels like his career in wcw was just stop start it was like you got a push for a bit a new exec came in like jim hurd came in kip fry came in and pulled his push from under him bischoff changed things you know it just seems like he sort of got something it was taken away from him yeah and it just it just feels like he never got like that consistent consistent momentum with one character to get to where he was kind of capable of getting to if someone really embraced him and really wanted to go with him yeah because obviously the hollywood blondes were an absolutely fantastic tag team that got like broken up way too early and they were having some brilliant matches weren't they and that's right after this is what that's what this is right after isn't it it's like they were Mm. they were doing that heel run they split them up because presumably they saw steve as a big star and they kind of just pushed pillman back didn't they into like this this underdog babyface role again like he went from like showing being able to show like the personality side that he showed in later wcw going back to just being you know underdog you know first or second match yellow dog style brian pillman uh, yellow yeah, dog he, oh god that was a run wasn't it <laughs> but he's just he is yeah. like when you talk about mismanaged wrestlers and we said that about dustin earlier like pillman has got to be at the top of the list um but yeah definitely I mean, for me like with this one I, I even though like i think it says a lot for a regal match i gave it three and a half stars on grapple because i'm just not a real guy maybe that says a lot about pillman for it i'm guessing you're around the three are you martin based on what you said before yeah definitely three yeah how about you two a three oh, and a half yeah three and a half as well like i i don't i get the criticisms of regal i think regal gets for years was quite overrated as like this great british wrestler regal can do one style and he does it well i don't think he's very adaptable very often he's had good matches like this one with pillman but i think his best his best matches for me are the ones with benoit uh but i don't know if you remember the match with benoit no mercy 2007 i want to say no shit benoit was dead by then 2006 <laughs> 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 yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Shit. Uh, sorry about oh, that. Oh, the other um, but... as well. Unbelievable. Go on. Yeah, oh, we can watch the documentary to check, couldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I don't dislike Regal necessarily, and I think seeing Regal's like Attitude Era run is the first thing I really saw a Regal. And I loved it because of the character stuff I found really funny at the time. So I think going back and seeing this stuff, I don't have the same, um, I don't have the same view because I wasn't living it at that point in time. Mm. As I imagine, you know, if I was to go, if I wasn't watching various people, I don't know. Let's say if I wasn't watching JBL at the time, mm. I might think JBL was some great wrestler or something. I don't know. That's probably a bad comparison. <laughs> obviously your points uh, but yeah I think that's the thing with Regal I think he is just he's shoved it's a bit like me with the Beatles and Liverpool it's been shoved down my throat to the point where I'm just unwilling to listen to the Beatles anymore and it's been shoved down my throat that Regal's this legendary British wrestler and I just don't see it I don't see the matches yeah. but send, send your hate mail to me and Martin we'll take it on uh, on Twitter yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I'm expecting next up we've got a match we're all going to be probable oh, in agreement yeah. uh, my oh, god yeah. Chicago the, 
a Chicago street fight for one, and fuck me, what a not, what an un WCW match we had next. The Nasty Boys and Cactus Jack and Max Payne. Like I was shocked when I looked at the the results that like they went less than ten minutes. Cause fuck me, did they they put a lot of stuff into this ten minutes and like as wild a brawl as I'd ever seen. It was almost like the lads saw so maybe not the Nasty Boys, but maybe Cactus Jack and Max Payne saw the writing on the wall with Hogan coming in. We're like, we're just gonna go balls to the wall here. Let's just let's just do it. Let's let's just let's let's make the world take notice and fuck me they had a match here a match that doesn't feel like it's 1994 wcw but it, it could fit into ecw it could fit into mm. fmw even like the level of just i've never seen the nasty boys with the, the working boots on to to maybe quite this extent that often and yeah this for me was maybe the match of the show nasty boys cactus jack max Payne. i'm guessing you guys loved it as much as i did yeah, and it does. It even stands up today, doesn't it? I mean, they had that really brutal brawl at Super Bowl Four, and then this was even more brutal. I mean, I was trying to, I was thinking, oh, I've got to watch this through, you know, thinking about watching it from the time, but it still stands up today. I mean, but you weren't seeing stuff like this. No. I mean, I'd already seen a couple of ECW events, but the production on that was always really poor, and seeing this with the production values in a big promotion was absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, they even had their New Japan-style unbreakable tables there, that, you know, the insane bump off the ramp and that sickening shovel shot. I mean, it was just absolutely insane. Yeah. Some of the bumps just that that Foley was taking at that point in time were just absolutely insane. It's the kind of stuff that kind of sets the the legend of him in WCW and obviously like the Vader feud and, and other things like that. And this is like one of the key things. Um, it's almost like this set in turn the kind of tag team, wild tag team, no rules matches that were a staple of ECW, really, from that point mm. onwards when they became ECW. Um, yeah, I love this. I went four stars on it. It's absolutely wild, bonkers shit. And yeah. Sorry, nasty, nasty boys at that point in time. Like, I... I I had a fondness for them because I remember them from WrestleMania seven and winning, uh, beating the heart foundation. So yeah, just bonkers shit. Loved it. Yeah. I think for me as well, this one, uh, what, what I love is the elements of the arena that WCW presented. So that ramp was such a great addition mm, yeah. because it just gave you so much, um, of an extra dimension for different mm. spots and for more brutality. Like, I was watching this thinking, this is the best Fool's Count Anywhere match I've ever seen. Like, this is fucking awesome. And, yeah, again, like, the wild bumps Foley takes, absolutely insane at different points of it. But, yeah, best Nasty Boys match I think I've ever seen. And I'll tell you what, I watched um, last night the Sting-Cactus Jack match from Beach Blast 92. yeah. And honestly, this is like the tag version of that match. Foley takes many, many similar bumps in that Sting match. (laughs) Like Foley's bumping for his his life and career, it seems, in these Mm -hmm. two matches. And I came out of that Sting match thinking, no, that's the best Fool's Count Anywhere match I've ever seen. Like there are some some great stuff all around the arena, really tense stuff in the crowd as well in that. But I thought these guys doing it in a sort of tag environment 
uh, made the absolute most of what they were given. I love the bits with that uh, prop merch stand they set up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. that was, it was so obviously a prop, that <laughs> Nasty Boys t-shirt, but it was kind of hilarious and just added to the match, if anything. $20 those t-shirts were going for. I was uh, zooming in and trying to work out what was what, what the merch <laughs> prices were back then. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that's not changed over time. Adjust that for inflation, mate. What would that Oof, be now? My God, yeah, yeah. Probably, they probably tried recreating 40. that, I think, the year after it uncensored, and I think it might have been the Nasty Boys against uh, Harlem Heat, but yeah, they started using, instead of like, you know, using tables and stuff, they started squirting each other with like tomato uh, ketchup, and it was awful. Yeah, oh. you, you need Foley there to bring that realism. Um, but like, did, was I the only one who as well as zooming in on the merch table like the finish as you mentioned before Martin that shovel that shovel shot just tri- that Sags just basically takes Cactus's mm. head off I was literally pausing and like doing it in slow motion on the network just to see like because it literally looked like he just he just did some full for full boards foley on the floor straight in the head like there's an element of work for it I think he gets some of the chest but it's basically just Foley's face that takes the impact of it maybe it was a, a work shovel and it wasn't as hard as it look but fuck me does that typify you know you know backstage foley's gone yeah just hit me as hard as you want mate and sags has gone yeah sound i'll do it fuck me that was a finish there's no no there's no work in there so i was looking back at what foley said in his book about this because it was a month after he had his ear ripped off weren't he in that match with vader in germany and he was saying he thought he was going to go and get surgery but he didn't want to miss the show because he seemed really down on himself at this point and he felt that he had to go and have this extreme match to get over mm. and he noted in there that the nasty boys were just incredibly sloppy with everything that they did mm. yeah they can't they can't have been the most fun to be in there with but yeah. the one thing that annoyed me as well about this match was the end so like that bump foley takes off the ramp he's not the focus of the shot they use mm. so he kind of just takes this horrible bump in the background of the shot and you've got Max Payne kind of as the focus of the shot at the point where he takes the bump. So that was kind of annoying because it felt like he'd taken that bump before the uh, shovel shot all for nothing really. It's like poor work from a director there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's it. You brought him up there, Max Payne. I mean, I was a big fan. (laughs) He had a really short career, didn't he? I was a big fan of him at the time. I mean, what what were your guys' thoughts on Max Payne? I liked his guitar into the BF. That was about it for me. (laughs) Man, man, in did he get fired for filming in there? Yeah, because no, he's no, going to no, be like documentary left already. I think yeah. he left it already, hadn't he? But he, he released that, actually released the trailer, didn't he? Because he'd filmed everything on this German it's, tour and then like behind the scenes. The boys backstage, then, and, like piling pills into the, into the rucksacks and stuff. Yeah. And then it just never came out, did it? No, yeah. I mean, it never was going to once. Uh, Jerry McDivitt got on it, weren't it? But I mean, uh, I remember the trailer had Kevin Nash pulling out a bag of somas on the tour bus and making a joke about it or whatever. Amazing. Yeah. But yeah, he, like that, that, that's all he could have been known for. But yeah, I think he literally, like, he was here, he was WWF for like a short time as Mount Martin Rock. Yeah, and I've got no big memories of him unless you do, JP. No, no, not really. I mean, other than Man Mountain Rock was a much more sort of orthodox rock version, whereas this version was a bit more metal. Mm. So I'm a bit more fond of, of this one, necessarily. <laughs> Apparently he got a big settlement because he sued uh, 
makers of Max Payne, so you must have held the trademark on on the name. So <laughs> oh, yeah, got, a massive, got, got a massive settlement off that games company. Wow. Fucking hell. Work it to the end. Got to appreciate it. <laughs> I know, I don't blame him either. Look- I mean, yeah, he must have made at least a million off that. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at Grapple, I think I might be the low man on this match, and I think maybe I gave it 3.75. I feel like I should have gave it 4. I wonder whether I, like, but just because it ended, I was kind of gutted. I was like, oh, I would have happily watched another 5 minutes of this, because it sounded like the commentators were loving it as well, and we're, we're expecting, like, even more. But, yeah, may- maybe 4 is more reasonable. The Grapple average is 3.93. Is that where... Uh, where you guys are? Yeah, four went stars four. for me. Mm. Yeah, four for me. Yeah, easy four. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, relative consensus there in a, in agreement with Grapple. Um, this was one of Foley's last few. Was it this and Slambury? Because I always remember it being the dream match having him and Sabu to face off in ECW, and I think that happened later in the year as well. I mean, oddly, <laughs> I was thinking back to the time when Sabu was in anybody's dream match. But yeah, and then I think they had a, a wild brawl in ECW later on in the year. So, yeah. I remember watching those matches, Martins. I loved Foley. And I remember watching... That would have been before I was getting into WCW, actually. So this would have mm. been like... Do you remember that Foley DVD that came out on his comeback? It was like a mm. two-disc DVD that, w, that WWE released. And it's got him and the Cactus Jack on the front. And I remember the Sabu matches were on there. And I remember thinking, this is absolute fucking toilet. What the fuck is this? <laughs> like, what on earth am I watching here? But... Yeah, the Sting match was on that DVD as well, and I fucking loved that. Yeah, that might have brilliant. been the first WCW match, maybe when I think back, that I saw from this era, actually, because that would have been 2003 that mm. DVD was released. Yeah, it was. I think it was called like Mick Foley's Hits and Misses or something. Yeah, it was, yeah. Mm. He also had a really good uh, match against Paul on off Super Bowl three. I think that was another oh, that's a anywhere great match. match. Mm. Yeah, that is an awesome match. Uh, didn't Paul Orendorf like tell Foley it was one of the best match of his career or something afterwards. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome match. Amazing. Uh, well, up next, we had one, but maybe, as, as I've noticed from Grapple, has some mixed reviews. Uh, Steve Austin and the Great Muta, uh, a match that I'd forgotten had, had even taken place. Just a, a good advert for this show. Like, the fact that basically every match every match on the show is completely different. And every match, if you don't know the match list, then going in might well take you by surprise. But this was a weird one, because, like... I think Muta obviously had been big in WCW like earlier in the early nineties, but like he came came out here to be fair, and he was over big. Like they, they tried, WCW did their best to kind of kill it. Like did anyone notice as he came out where like the the ring announcer said something along the lines of he's coming to take the title back to Japan? And I was like that sounds like a like like a, <laughs> like they're trying to get him booed. He's supposed to be the babyface here, but despite that, like he was surprisingly over or maybe it shouldn't be surprising with just how charismatic he was here but yeah this is very much your uh, your fire pro random uh match of the night uh where did you guys land on it were you were you a fan martin yeah i mean i like the uh sort of ending of it but i thought it was it was quite a slow match early on weren't it and like i said earlier i feel like around this time period when muta came over to america he was like he'd never sort of get out of second gear i think they had a lot better matching in the G1, I think, might have been 92. Um, but, I mean, I still love seeing Muto whenever I could. Um, I mean, just the handspring elbow and the moonsault was saying fantastic. But it, it's sort of the thing with this show, it really, really dodgy finish to it as well. Yeah, really really slow and laboured finish as well. Like, they were waiting forever for, like, the interference to happen. Yeah, it was an odd one. How about you, Joe and JP? I felt for this one, so it was like 
I loved Steve Austin around that period of time. I've, I've said it a few times, like that kind of early 90s Steve Austin is like a big part of like sort of my wrestling childhood, so to speak. And so is Muta as being something that, as Martin said earlier on, like having these, doing this amazing stuff that you wouldn't have seen before at that moment in time. And also introducing you to the world of, oh, he's gone back to Japan. So you knew about New Japan. And like I said, that's always one of the appeals of WCW is, is the kind of broadness. But this match is just like kind of like a whole lot of nothing. And I think part of the problem is the fact that Colonel Robert Parker's there. Mm. He's not great. He's from a different era. He's actually come back to MLW. I was going to say, he's from the current era, isn't he? Yeah, which is weird. Yeah, um, for this. But it was like done in such a kind of old school heel way of Mm. lots of sort of like dull rest holds and... Austin would do a lot of that. And at this point in time, it was obviously pre-Stone Cold. So he's the technician, Steve Austin. That was the style. And and really, in the end, you think of even though he was forced to take on the brawling style, that was very much more him, him as a person. Um, and this was, I gave it three, uh, sorry, two and a half stars. Because it's just like, for me, it's massively disappointing, really. And it would, yeah, just had that bit of bollocks then at the end, you know, in terms of, you know, the over-the-top rule, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, shit, that was a thing, wasn't it? Um, yeah, didn't didn't enjoy it at all, which is kind of sad. I went 3.25 on it. I think it was purely just the the muta comeback and when he kind of brings the crowd alive near the end. Like, mm. same as you, I hated the finish. Like, Colonel Robert Parker taking forever to get on the apron and do the, do the shit, do the shit, just kind of go with like the and then they go with the lame DQ and it just yeah that that kind of I think when you've got to finish like that in a match like a match that you're excited for I think that can kill it but for me yeah it was like that that last third of the match was enough for me to like go above three I don't know if you were uh, any higher or lower Joe no I think mine and JP's opinions on this show are pretty kind of uh connected to be honest i don't know if it was just the movie we were in that night we're in quite high spirits considering there's a global pandemic going on <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and we just watched the chris first part of the chris benoit documentary as well before starting to watch this oh mm. mate this absolute barnstorm of a show lifted our spirits didn't it and like yeah. you said earlier like there was a point during the show near the end where we sort of looked at it and said I haven't thought about the coronavirus for a couple of hours. This is good, isn't it? Um, but this was the match that I was kind of like least into. Like, I love Austin and I like uh, I like um, stunning Steve. I think like the mechanic stuff, the way he runs the ropes, the way he bumps, he's great at it. Um, you know, what? I've never been a massive Muta fan. I get the appeal, but I got to say, I'm an all Japan heavyweight man rather than a new Japan heavyweight man. So, you know, I've chose my tribe there. I've chose my camp and this one won for me. Fair enough. Yeah. Like I say, maybe I was just so into seeing the handspring elbow and the uh, the big runner off the top rope. Uh, but yeah, Muta's a, Muta's a weird one for me. He's someone who like, he's a legend, isn't he? Like he, he's someone who you yeah, obviously, you know, you, you can't go back and watch, like can't be a fan of this era of WCW without having some kind of affinity for him. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's someone who's like, yeah, whose matches don't always do it for me. But uh, yeah, we went. But from... I think I think when he is good, he's mm. he's really good. Obviously, when he's motivated. He's all, yeah, yeah, when he's he's all Japan sort of like triple crown win and and sort of like some of the G one finals that he had, especially the one 
was against Hashimoto in 95. That was a really good match. Um, mm. So, yeah, I was always more on the... Uh, as it, when I was younger, I was always more on the Three Musketeers New Japan side rather than mm. Old Japan. I, I was someone who discovered Old Japan sort of like a lot later after it had all happened. Mm. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the partnership for it because, like mentioning earlier on, the um, uh, Great American Bash 92, they've got um, Hashimoto and Hase. And it would have been around that time I would have seen Hase a couple of times. The idea of Hashimoto and what obviously he became and what he ended up representing as well. So, it, and all Japan being a thing that really wasn't necessarily being mentioned, it was only in that kind of mid 90s when the sort of explosion of the internet that you're able to kind of go back and look at what was going on there. I remember Austin was always talked about as being a great sort of like, you know, when you read magazines and things like that. Austin, you know, even before Stone Cold and that, a lot of places were talking about him being this great work rate guy and why he wasn't being pushed more by WCW. Yeah, and why is he put with Colonel Robert Parker when clearly yeah. somebody <laughs> could talk for himself? Yeah, real odd time. And this was pretty much it, wasn't it? For Like I say, Hogan comes in, he gets lost in the shuffle, and then luckily we get that great little ECW run, and then it turns into to WWE. But yeah, this was kind of the last, it felt like the last big, one of the last big nights, felt like that mini Steve Austin push that they gave him in the early 90s. What could have been? Um, but yeah, up next, we kind of, speaking of the last, uh, sad one, really, r- ravishing Rick Rude and Sting. Rick Rude, like, this is near the end for him. We're getting towards the end for him. But to, for me, really, we need to talk about that. We need to talk about the match. We need to talk about what could have been with Rick Rude. But mainly, we need to talk about this entrance theme. That that ravishing Rude WCW theme. <laughs> like, it's, oh. not, it's not often that people leave the WWF and go to WCW and get a theme upgrade. And I love the porno theme that he had in the WWF. But t- I'm, t- I'm telling you, for me... Top three wrestling theme of all time. The uh, the simply ravishing uh, WCW theme. I don't know if uh, you guys feel the same. Uh, I've got to agree. And I also used to love Sting's original oh, theme that yes. gotten rid of by the time this show came around. I mean, it was really it was weird because I didn't realize until I rewatched this because I wouldn't have really known who Michael Buffer was around sort of like the early nineties, but I, I didn't realize they were still using him in this time period. I thought they'd only brought him like when Hogan came on, on board and the NWO, but you can't beat that sting sort of turbo charge theme with oh, uh, yeah. Gary and Michael Capetta. This is sting. We're easily one of my favorite entrances, but also loved Rick Rude's uh, theme as well. Benno. Got yeah. Agree there. yeah. Man called stings up there too. But yeah, Rick, Rick, the yeah. rude theme. Like, you're a fan, JP. Oh, absolutely. I'm always reminded by um, Halloween Havoc '91 when he debuts and mm. he comes in as the um, Halloween Phantom and beats uh, Tom Zenk in yes. a minute. And it's and the it's, rude awakening. And it's the fact of when he takes the mask off that they play the music and you can hear the kind of like ravishing. And then it's and then it's straight into the music and it's like that Sting music as well. Just mm. listening to that, especially. Sorry to go back to it, but the Beach Blast 92, the way that he comes out and, he, and you can see Cactus Jack and the Isle stood on the ramp and they go into the fight. And it's just the way that music comes out in that yeah. presentation. He, he just looks like a million dollars at this moment in time. And obviously there's all the stuff about the Crow gimmick as well. But, you know, I have to admit that was that kind of really run its course very, very quickly. This is the version of Sting that I'm always kind of reminded by. Um, mm. Yeah. So it is quite sad. I read as well for this one. This was Rude's last match in America. Was it? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. We were chatting. Yeah, wrestling Don Taku, wasn't it? The last one with Sting after wow. this, I think. With yeah, the, uh, me and Joe were talking about that. I said I'm pretty sure it was a rematch with Sting, 
that stemmed from this match where because it's a back injury isn't it that he yeah. doesn't yeah. it it's suplex or something it's either on the apron or like on a ramp isn't it it's something like that yeah 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 I'm, yeah it is against sting isn't it mm. yeah, yeah it is wrestling down the new japan don taku show i think it's a month after this one wow and it's it's sad because i mean i was always a massive fan of rick Roots. partly at the time when i started when i first was like kind of aware of wwf like i knew who hogan was wasn't in the hogan didn't kind of get the character at all i liked savage because he wasn't hogan when they had warrior i was just like nah don't like this guy at all he just gets on my nerves talks bollocks in his promo don't get it at all you'd watch the match and it was just it was very clear he couldn't do anything and he was severely limited and the fact that he wasn't losing at all. And the fact that Rude beat him at Mania 5, I was, I, even though the first, I'd seen the SummerSlam 89 match first, when I watched the WrestleMania 5 match, I remember being really happy at seeing um, Warrior lose. And I always think, and you mentioned there, Ben, about what could have been. Mm. It's It really is. He could have been that kind of work-rate heel champion. And I know his work-rate isn't necessarily the greatest, but he certainly lives up to his end of the bargain. So he could beach blast 290 again, that match against Steamboat oh. in the 30-minute man, thirty minute Iron Man match. So good. Watched yeah. that one yesterday. Oh, my God. His that match. selling. Rude's, it's all, sorry, JP. No, no, no. Just going to say, yeah. Uh, Rude's selling as well for, like, in this match. It, mm. it does kind of fill you up with sadness because he really should have been, like, had a proper world title run. And this international title bollocks that they had at the time, which that came out of the Fujinami thing, didn't it? That's right. That yeah. was in '91, wasn't it? The Super Brawl was it Super Brawl, and then they. Oh, had how the... did it come about? It was an it was an NWA belt, wasn't it? And then like the NWA mm. pulled, and then it was like an unnamed. I think they called it like the Big Gold Belt for a little while, and then yeah, it was when Flair took it to WWF with him, didn't that... he? Yeah, all of that stuff yes. ties in, and then it became because on the commentary they talk about it like being the W. It's a WCW. It's from WCW International, and they talk about WCW mm. International like it's like this subsidiary, like abroad, and there's like this whole separate company that you don't know about. But yeah, I think they used it in Japan a few times. I'm pretty sure that that match where Rude. I think the, I think the bump is when I think Sting does a dive to the outside, and Rude kind of falls, and like there's a there's two levels on the outside. It's almost it's not quite a ramp, and he lands back first on the edge. I remember seeing that gift not Ooh. that long ago. Uh, but I think that's a match for this belt as well. It's weird though, isn't it? Because this is this is what you associate. This is the big gold belt, and then Flair is in the main event with like you know the, the for me the the imitation not the imitation version, but just not quite the. It's not the big belt. This feels like the big belt. Mm. This show, so it is weird seeing him come out with it. it yeah, because like they combined them not too long after this, didn't they? Mm. What was that joke? Yeah, look. Looks like a piece of shit the the belt flares got. It really <laughs> does. Like we, I think me and JP were saying, like this is this doesn't make sense. What were they going for at this point in time? Mm. Yeah, it it's odd. the thing, isn't it, about that this era in general? Like, and we were all, I mean, at the time, certainly me and Martin, you kind of dipping in when you're watching the videos, and like you yeah. guys did as well. You're kind of watching the whole thing out of order. Timelines off, the, isn't the, it? The timelines off. You kind of jump into these storylines. Like, what the fuck's happened here? Um, it's like all of a sudden the US tag team title belts are just gone and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, okay. But the wrestling is so much fun and the kind of aesthetic and everything else, you're like kind of into that. So you, you let a lot of that stuff slide. But that's the real sort of problem with their business at that point in time. Mm. Is It's not that they didn't have the talent to be able to do something. 
they did they weren't able to book it. Yeah, they didn't have the competency to. Because um, Rude had one of these Lloyd's of London's insurance policies, didn't he, that all wrestlers seem to have in the <laughs> early 90s. I mean, imagine an insurance company in their right mind doing that <laughs> these days. You know, a bunch of carnies. Oh, yeah, if you get injured. And I think he, he, he wanted to come back, didn't he, when he came back to WCW. And I think he asked Bischoff to pay off his oh, Lloyd's, Lund- of, London. Lloyd's yeah. of London policy. And he, Bischoff was like, why, how much is it? And I think he got like 850 grand. And he was like, absolutely no fucking way. And I think... <laughs> That you know, I don't think they ever got on properly, but I think that was sort of like the nail in the coffin for that. Yeah, sadly was. Um, what do we what do we all go on the match? Because I was like similar to the last one. I feel like the the manager bullshit finish kind of kills it a bit. I think uh, Harley mm. Race like speaking of slow managers, my god, like yeah, it was just a an odd. Do we need like a weird convulsive miscue? finish could could sting not just the one uh yeah i think that, that kind of killed my enjoyment a little bit but i still went 3.25 on it i'm actually a bit below the grapple average which is 3.3 uh where do you guys land him i think the the new japan match the month after is a lot better i watched that after this one oh, um right. but yeah for these two I, I i feel like you know you wanted a lot more i don't i didn't think it was terrible but i think you wanted a lot more than what we got yeah. out of this match Oh, but you, JP? I enjoyed it. I gave it three and a half. But again, like these are kind of done with an element of nostalgia as well. Um, but yeah, went three and a half. Again, you could have had so much more at the time with a, a kind of a better reasoning for this match to exist as much as anything else. I think their US title feud was a lot, was so much stronger than this, than this stuff. The crowd were brilliant on Sting's comebacks, though, weren't they? Oh, Absolutely yeah. exploding. They loved him at that point in time. And I know there's a, that Vader, again, saw this in, in kind of going through the WCW Blitz, but the match he has uh, with Vader at Great American Bash 92. And the crowd are just devastated when he loses. Mm. Like, really kind of crushed. Mm. i got to say, I think Sting during this era is actually really underrated. Like, the Crow era stuff, I, I, you know, I couldn't give any any semblance of a shit about it, if I'm honest with you. I find it all kind of boring. And I know I wasn't watching it at the time, and if I was, I could probably see the appeal of it. But yeah. I think Sting between 89 94 is a really underrated talent. As a kind of quite raw main event wrestler who has natural charisma as a crowd connection, I think he's great. His matches are always exciting. I can't think of anyone in WCW that he didn't actually gel with and kind of click with in the ring. I think he gets really sort of overlooked during this era. And it's kind of a shame. And watching this back, I sort of remembered that. And then watching that Cactus Jack match, I remembered it as well. Because he's worked two completely different styles of match that I've seen in the last couple of days. And I think he's pulled both off. Like with, I'm with JP. I went three and a half on this. I loved how lively it was, and I loved seeing genuine emotion for a for a babyface comeback. But one last point I wanted to make as well is watching this. Could you guys see the influence that these guys? I honestly think of that on Cody Rhodes and his current incarnation and style. Oh, oh he's Sting, isn't oh, yeah. he? He's proper trying to be Sting. But I think there's some Rick Rude in there as well. I honestly mm. do. In terms of little aspects of the presentation and little aspects of the working style when he slows a match down slightly and does a sort of a bit more sort of technical, psychological-based stuff, I definitely think there's a Rude influence in there as well. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Like on the when he gets into like his heelish mode, 
Like he yeah. is basically walking WCW Cody Rhodes, isn't he? Like he's grabbing all these influences from all different parts of WCW, from from his dad to Sting. I can see a bit of root there too. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what I think has got me invested in Cody Rhodes. Is you can see that watching him, and you know that he loves this era of wrestling as well. And you know, if anyone's going to imitate this era of wrestling, I'm kind of. I'm more than game for that, if anything. That's all I'm going to say there. And he's got that sort of same crowd connection I think Sting has during this era. It's quite hard to get with a bunch of smarks. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you've got mini tone in the in the crowd there. <laughs> but, wild Sting. but, you know, now you've got big tone around the back and you've got, you know, a million carbon copies of mini tone in the crowd smarking it up. But Cody's kind of over with them. So it kind of speaks volumes as to how he's probably studied this stuff and fought a ways to get over based on how the likes of Sting got over during this era, which is, you know, mm-hmm. I love the fact that he's taken from this era. Definitely. Yeah, that's it. I think that's completely the- agree with you about Sting, though, being completely underrated around this era. I mean, the amount of fantastic matches, because I don't mind the Crow as a character, but you can't really name a match, a really good match that he had around that time period yeah, like this. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Like you've just noted there already, the Cactus Jack match. I don't think he had a bad match with Vader, you know, that strap match, Super Brawl. Yeah. The great King of Cable match, he had Starcade 92, uh, Great American Bash 92. They were just, just I, I, I completely agree with you there. I think he just gelled with everybody, but it's like you say, he's just got that natural charisma that you can't teach anybody. No, Absolutely. It. And again, you just think of the variety you mentioned there, Martin. And I, I just think, yeah, even you go back as far as that hour-long match you had with Flair as well on the Clash of the Champions. Yeah, all right, he's raw there and Flair's getting him through the match. But he more than holds his own a lot of these matches later on. And I think just on Rude as well, I just wanted to mention... Uh, uh, that match with Steamboat, the half an hour uh, Ironman match. JP, did you watch that one in the last couple of days as oh, well? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and Brilliant. I remember, I haven't watched that in years. I remember loving it when I watched it back in the day. And from a psychology point of view, that mm. match is pure psychology. Like, it's just pure storytelling. There's no real high spot in there. There's nothing overly flashy. Everything makes sense. Every fall leads into the next, and it's such a logical match. And I was watching it thinking, would this work now? Like, would this work? And I think if if the guys in the match were cared about by the crowd, it could work now. But I think the tendency would be to go to high spots and flashy sort of overly athletic stuff because it's what the wrestlers are so used to doing to get over in this generation. But honestly, the simplicity of that match and how effective it is, and that last 30 seconds, oh my God, 30 of the most explosive seconds I've ever seen in the wrestling match ever. It's so, so good. Yeah, I love that. It's one of my personal favourites, that one. One of my favourite tapes of Rented. And, you know, you say the the AEW influence, but, like, I feel like Pac and, Ke- and Kenny literally stole that, 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 that fall where Rude gets himself DQ'd on purpose uh, to carry through oh, to yeah, the next yeah. fall. They totally st- they totally lifted that for their two out of three falls back in AEW. So you can see the influence there, can't you? But, yeah, it's one of my favourites of all time. I'm going to have to watch. Maybe after this, I'll, uh, I'll re-watch that because it, uh, it is a classic. You're in uh, for it's a great easily better than better. the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels. I know that's oh, like the 60 that minute oh. Iron Man match, but that always gets lauded as being like, Ooh. oh, the best Iron Man match of all time when that beat one, one like wipes it. the floor with it. I hate it oh. so much. Like people, yes. like people who rave about that match didn't live through it. Because I, re- no, I, no. I distinctly remember being a 12-year-old kid, sat there watching the repeat on Sky Sports the day after, where they had ad breaks as well. So the thing probably lasted about two hours. And I just remember sitting sat there, the biggest Shawn Michaels fan in the world, just being bored. 
And people have had it drilled into them by WWE documentaries ever since that it's this technical classic. No, it was an hour of boring, no falls, just no frills wrestling. And then a great, you know, extra time segment that maybe saves it a little bit. I've always hated that thing. Yeah, no, I, I, you say that about what living through it. So I, I wasn't. I, I think the last wrestle I saw was about '95. I didn't see anything really until about '99. So I wanted to watch this match so badly for so long. I remember 2003. I think it was the first proper archive DVD WWE released, and it was this like Shawn Michaels from the Vault DVD mm. or something. I remember being down at HMV like on release day, being really excited for it, buying it. And this was the match I wanted to see more than any other. I remember going straight to this match mm-hmm. and being like, what am I watching? Like, this is so bad. Yeah. Like, all these great things I've been told and I've read about this match. Like, I think people might be idiots. <laughs> like, because this is just boring. And yeah, I love both guys, but fuck me. An abomination of a match. Work mm. themselves into a shoot, Joe. That's what it is. People have just told themselves it's good. And I think the wrestlers did as well. I think they were like, where are these great workers? We can get away with doing no falls for an hour. They couldn't. Uh, yeah, but I'll take I'll take uh, Steamboat and Rude over that any day. Uh, but speaking of, um, we were saying earlier about WCW and the, the fact that this was a weird place in time. It doesn't get weirder than Bunkhouse Book. <laughs> Bunkhouse Book yeah. and Dustin Rhodes. Like Bunkhouse Book seems to like exist purely for the excuse of doing a Dusty Rhodes Bunkhouse match. Yep. Like if for any other reason. I, like he looks like he stepped off of WCW Saturday Night. He should be a jobber on WCW Saturday Night with the Gambler and all those other like kind of weird late nineties yeah. characters. He's like he's skinny. He's got he just he hasn't really got much of a look. He hasn't got much of a presence. Like I enjoyed the match. Like don't get me wrong, but what a weird like what a weird time for someone like Bunkhouse Book to be a push commodity. Apparently he was Jimmy Golden. Like even that name doesn't really ring any bells. Apparently apparently on a SmackDown about. Ten years ago, he turned up as Jack Swagger's dad. Like that was his other like claim to fame. I don't know. We got any bunkhouse book fans in the house? I feel like you might be one. JP, were you a fan uh, of, this, <laughs> no. of this lone individual? You a Jimmy Golden guy? You'd think so. No, if you get if you're giving me sort of Southern Eric Embry, I want like proper USWA Southern for it. Jeff um, Gaylord. Jeff Gaylord. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, all over that. Iceman King Parsons. You know, but yeah. The thing we noticed when watching this is it wasn't really wrestling. Mm. He was just it was just punch and kick. Yeah. Whereas Dustin Rhodes is doing effectively all of the work in this match yep. to get anything from it. And it is, it's like a weird kind of byproduct of this time. You talk about the kind of bad booking bits. So you get all these great you have these great workers all over the card and these interesting dynamics. And then you've got Colonel Robert Parker stinking it up. And <laughs> Yeah, and Bunkhouse Buck. Yeah, just so many variants of this same character as well. And it's just like, he could have wrestled his dad, frankly. Yeah. And they would have had this match in Florida, and it would have been exactly the same, give or take. <laughs> but it just kind of adds to the thing about how good Dustin is, how great he blades as well, and a, just, just the crowd connection he's got mm. for it as much as anything else. But yeah, Bunkhouse Buck... Uh, He's not missed. Do you know who Bunkhouse Buck looks like? I, mean, I, was, I said this to JP on the night. Like, have a, I don't know if you can picture him, but have a good look at him, right? And really think about his face and a little bit of the air as well. So he reminds me of the more disheveled, possibly like down and out brother of possibly Jeremy Beadle. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just looking at it and it's still image of him gaining at the camera. Very beagle-esque, I can see. Yeah, there's something proper beadle about him. Like You could see like a Beatles about prank being played on him or something. Like Jeremy Beadle having a Beatles about prank played on him where they try to reunite with his long-lost brother. And he's like... I want to fucking reunite with this twat. Look at him. Like <laughs> bunkhouse buck there. Yeah. Or, yeah. I, like, on, I said it to JP and I think we were both laughing at that, weren't we, JP? Yes. Yeah, Probably very nice. Sorry, JP. I was going to say, I mean, like, when you when you mentioned Beadle, I think one of the words that immediately comes to mind is bastard. Because there were some of the level of wind-ups on Beadle's about shoving, like, identical cars into rivers and stuff. <laughs> And you just think, at some point, mate, you're going to get a twat in and they're going to grab your hand as well. Like, that's definitely a thing that's going to happen. Did he actually only have one hand or was that just a minute? No, he just said he had one normal size hand and his other hand was, like, smaller than the other one. He didn't just have one hand. And he wouldn't show it. He'd be very careful. He'd always be in his pocket and he'd use his other hand as well. He was just like, yeah, not, not showing it. I would have preferred him in this match to Bunkhouse Buck, now saying it. <laughs> oh, it was still Jeremy a good match. Beadle. I still went three. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's three. It's, it's, an, it's easy to watch, but it's. I was just kind of, yeah, it's all Dustin Rhodes, though, isn't it? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. How about you, Martin? Uh, well, I mean, when you know, when you see these WWE documentaries where they're talking about WCW, Southern Wrestling, I mean, you don't get more Southern Wrestling than, like, cowboy boots and jeans. And But, yeah, <laughs> just to reiterate what you guys have said, I mean, Dustin Rhodes, great in this, just, like, you know, bleeding a gusher and then just some of his offense. Thought he was... But, like we've already said in the show before, I thought Dustin was absolutely fantastic around it. I didn't even mind Bunkhouse Booker's, like, the guy that Dustin was beating up all the time. Mm. Yeah, he filled the role, didn't he? Um, are we all on that? Are we all giving it the gentleman's three? Anyone got any lower? Oh, or higher? 3.25, because I was, I was, you know, I was a big fan of some of the brutality in it, if I'm honest with you. And I liked, I just thought Dustin was great in it. Like, I thought it was a Dustin Rose kind of charisma kind of exhibition, if anything. And just a real display of how great his punches are as well. How great his timing was at different points. Bunkhouse Buck. Absolute shite, but yeah, Dustin's awesome. <laughs> what a man. Well, before we get into the big lad scrap that comes next, there was another big lad scrap backstage that I fucking loved. Like Jesse Ventura uh, trying to do the interview with Rick Rude. I like him invaded off like it's like it looks like a, like a I don't know, it's a proper locker room. It looks like 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 you know two big sportsmen like like you can imagine it backstage at a Premier League game or something like that. Not happy with how the result went, screaming at each other, having to be separated. This felt like a real scrap was about to happen. I fucking love this segment backstage over there with Rude Invader. It's a real shame it didn't lead to anything. And was one of the nasty boys straight out of the shower in like yeah, a yeah. Towel, yeah. yeah. Jerry Sags. Yeah, you could see his underwear underneath though. That kind of busted kayfabe for me a little bit. Not that I was looking right. too closely. <laughs> Well, yeah. I liked Rude's busted nose for this as well, really oh, added to yeah. it. Yeah, it felt, it felt like he really wants to go out of there, I love that. Uh, but yeah, it led into, my God, one of the better big man matches I've seen recently. Like we've, I've been watching some retro matches these last few weeks, and this is one that I'd, uh, I'd already watched on one of our, one of our Twitch nights, uh, Vader and The Boss. Uh, which we'll uh, we'll get into when we talk about the uh, the post match promo as well. But fuck me, did I love this thing? This was like, this is the template for two big lads, like just two big lads going out and just smashing the shit out of each other, 
big bombs, big moves. Half of them don't even work. I'm not even to to me. A few of the botches in this match, I feel like they add half a star rather than take half oh, a star yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. It is yeah. proper mayhem. Like this is one of my. I've, I don't think I'd seen like this match before. Uh, watching it last week and then watching it like in conjunction with the rest of this show. Up there with my favorite boss man matches. I love Vader. Uh, he's had better matches, but as far as entertaining Vader matches, it's up there for me. Fuck me, was this a good time? I completely yeah. agree, Benno. Absolutely love this match. And there's no working in this one. I think no. there's a moment where yeah. like Vader's just smashing and clubbing Bossman until Bossman's like, fuck this, and gives him like a couple <laughs> back in return. And just absolutely brilliant. I mean, just... I mean, I didn't even notice when Vader gets busted open, so it must have been a hard way sort of like thing mm-hmm. that he gets off Bossman, surely. Yeah. I wonder if that that same eye for the one that Hanson knocked oh, out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that the next night, he went to the Buster Douglas-Mike Tyson fight. The next wow. day, I think, because he did it at the Dome before, didn't he? The day Yeah, in, in 90 against Hanson. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, it, there's that famous story about him and Hanson out drawing Tyson or something, in there? But yeah. this one for me, I, you know what? I'm going to hold myself personally responsible for the uh, re- 2020 re-evaluation of the big boss man recently. <laughs> and, you know, 1993 was the year of boss man, if you ask me. Like He was having some absolute barnstormers in 93. I've been watching a good bit of him recently and ah, uh, the bloke could go when he was motivated and this is probably his best match i've seen in american soil that's for sure i i love this match like benno i know uh james you you and martin do bwe with you've got like the jamesy matches of the sort of technical <laughs> style and the shoe style put this down as a joe match for me it was the just the brutality just beating the shit out of each other the sloppiness yeah. the fact you could tell they weren't getting on at points of the match as yeah. well the fact you could tell Boss Man was getting a bit pissed off at certain points. Oh, it was awesome, this that one. That dive that Vader does over the ropes when he gets his knee up for it, but it looks like he's just oh. done a kind of plant face for face yeah. to the mat. And it's that kind of like muckiness that goes about it, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, and the yeah. Boot- Fucking moonsault at the end. Oh my god. I feel like that was called in the ring as well. I feel like Bossman like earned Vader's respect. Because he kind of you think it's the finish, the Vader bomb, and I, it really looks like Vader has a little quiet way with the boss there and goes, I'm going up top, lad. And he goes up top and he does the Vader self. Like a fucking yeah. It, it, it felt like yeah, if they didn't like each other going in, I feel like they walked out with a grudge and respect for each other. Cause fuck me, did they hate each other in this? I oh, think yeah. also he'd only debuted that moonsault at like Starcade 93 or oh. something. So it was like you were quite, you know, it was quite rare to see him, you know, do it at the time as well. Oh, wow. Really? I didn't know he'd been doing it for that short a time. Mm. Who was it he debuted it against? Was it Sting he debuted it against? No, I thought it was Flair at Starcade 93. Oh, of course. Yeah, I that think fakes. I could be wrong. I think it might be the Flair match, yeah. Okay, I thought for some reason I can remember him doing it in the Sting matches, but it might might be that because they have a match in '94, don't they? As well, Vader. Yeah, after this uh, slumbery with uh, in Philadelphia where all the chants are chanting ECW on. Oh, yeah, so maybe I'm getting confused with that one. Um, I was going to say as well, on the subject of that moonsault, I watched boss, two Bossman matches two days in a row. Mm. So on the Sunday after watching this one, I watched Bossman Kabashi, and Kabashi also put Bossman away with the moonsault. So it seems like the moonsault, you know, was the move to put the Bossman away with in 93. Amazing. Uh, Akeem should have done that, shouldn't he, back in the day? That's what he should have been fucking practising to get over the <laughs> Bossman in 1990. Or Hogan and them cage matches. Yeah. (laughs) 
Imagine Hogan doing a moonsault. <laughs> <laughs> that I want to see. Uh, what, what do we all rate it? Because I, I was looking at Grapple and there's, the average is actually 3.08. Which shocked me. No, it's a full four for me. Yeah, I went four because I, I dug into the ratings and it does feel like there's people who've gone low with ratings in the twos and there's people like us who've gone high with like 3.5s and fours. I think really yeah. it is, it's a case of do the botches and the, you know, the fact that it doesn't flow like a proper wrestler match, does that add to it or take away from it for you? Because for me, it adds to it and that's why I'm going so high. But maybe the, I don't know, I, I wouldn't want to live a boring life but I think this is a two-star match to be honest. I'm trying to justify it but... That, that grapple rating needs to get higher. People need to throw some ratings in. No, I agree, Benno. In a match like this, the botches add to it, don't they? They make mm. it feel that much more yeah. real. Yeah. What, what did you do, Joe, Joe and JP? What did you go for? 3.75. Good luck. Three and a half for me. And that's not, and it sounds like I'm, I'm a slight on the match, but um, I have to admit the post match stuff, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> that no, was no, he was having an identity crisis in WCW, weren't he? When like oh, yeah. Dick Murdoch comes and he's like, I'm taking your name off here. I'm taking your nightstick that Jesse called a wand. I'm taking your uh, handcuffs off you. And obviously the Guardian Angel came in later on. I think there was some kind of thing in America where some guy set up some sort of group to fend off crime in New York and, and they had like the guy it's, come it's... down and make him like an official member of the Guardian Angel. Yeah, it was, it was weird. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He was yeah. like all dressed in white, wasn't he? Was that the gimmick? Oh, Bob, yeah, with a red jacket. Jacket. I didn't know that. Black I didn't know that background on it. And a white t-shirt. Mm. Yeah, yeah it was like a guy because obviously New York had a load of crime in like the late seventies and eighties, didn't they? And a guy set up like a group that it wasn't like a vigilante group, but it was like a peacekeeping force. And yeah. I think they were getting a load of publicity around that still in the nineties. And obviously they thought, oh, this is a good idea to like you know co promote with with these guys. They just... I'm gonna have to look more into this. I'm fascinated by that story <laughs> now, Martin. <Yeah. laughs> they, they just got it's him terrible, mate. Having lived through it, I don't know if you felt the same way, Martin, when you saw his thought. God, yeah, when assholes. he first came, they're not gonna do well like, in. What the fuck is this shit? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sticking them in like I don't know Tottenham in the early nineties. Good luck. Good luck, <laughs> lads. I'll see you at the Broadwater Farm Estate and see how far that fucking gets you. Yeah, those, those gimmicks never work. Make a change, Fatu. That was another failure in there in that fade as well. But they just got boss man wrong. Like he came in, and like they called him the boss. But like they were just inviting legal action because the commentators were calling boss man in the in the intro to the interview after the match. Jesse Ventura calls him boss man, and it's just it's so obviously like WWF like legal guys are, are gonna be coming for yeah. But it was just the way they stepped him down as well. Like 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 you mentioned there, Martin. They have Nick Bockwinkle like who comes across as I know he's not, but he comes across as like the least charismatic man in the world on these shows. He's yep. like dressing him down. He is takes the badge off him. Takes the takes like takes everything off him, strips him of the character, uh, and it's like yeah, I'm even taking your name. You're no longer the boss. And like just leaves him there, like completely, like just. I know, music. looking like a complete fucking moron. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. then they go to but the guard. But he's fine with Angel. race trying to handcuff him and stuff like. Just let all that <laughs> shit fly. Well, that's the thing when he beat the shit out of race. Like the fans were booing because it was like, it was just like. Fuck me, this is actually too far. I'm not enjoying this. Like, it was just odd. Like, they did that. Then he was the Guardian Angel. Then he was Big Bubba. Then he was Ray Trailer. Then he was, like, NWO cast off. Like, it took him going back to WWE, didn't it? And then giving the boss man gimmick back, but this time in, like, the shield garb, um, where he actually he got a bit of his credibility back, didn't he? But what a, what a barren few years for such a, a great big man worker. 
he got some yeah, of his credibility was... back. What dragging big shows far? <laughs> that was fucking brilliant. You you can't say about where that's one of the greatest WWE segments of all time. I went about I went about where about that. And he had his role in the corporation to start, Martin. Yeah. Come on, bit of credit where credit's due. Losing to The Rock in three seconds of Survivor Series 98 <laughs> and all that. I think he's and the... that LNSL against The Undertaker classic. Oh, oh, oh my God, the, the, the Kennel from Hell match. I'm forgetting that. Maybe I should take it back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was past it by that point, though. He was kind of yeah. broken down. Like He looked like he was blowing out of his ass half the time when he was in the ring. But I was glad he like, got that what? run. I'm glad they gave him it. It was like when they brought Earthquake back and made him uh, like part of the oddities. It was like it was nice that Vince remembered some of the guys from the past. <laughs> I think one of the things I was going to say, talking about guys from the past as well, Harley Race, what do you make of his get-up here? <laughs> oh, like a red sports jacket. Stylish do, you know, do you know what he looked like to me? Do you remember some of the some of the garb that Noel Edmonds was presenting in his house party in the nineteen <laughs> like the early nineties? Like honestly, house party would have been in his peak, I reckon, ninety four. Like it looked like someone out of Noel Edmonds' wardrobe from that era to me. Like if Mister Blobby was to return up on a high after his you know Christmas ninety three number one and all the rest of it, it wouldn't have surprised me too much. <laughs> I remember Vince used to love rocking a sports jacket in the late 80s, early 90s as well. He seemed to be the, the go-to for, like, if you were sort of, like, ringside at any any wrestling event. I'm sure he used to wear some red ones as well. Now, now thinking if Harley Race was uh, suddenly sneakily getting his Noel Edmonds fix, somehow tape sent to Missouri. <laughs> watching, it while, watching it while on the road with uh, Vader. I like to think, mate, that when they were over here doing those UK tours, he was probably down a crinkly bottom. You ever been there? <laughs> <laughs> I went as a child. It was the, like, Mr. Blobby theme Did park. You? Great place. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I never even knew that existed. Oh, Mr. look Blobby it up. sounded like the devil. Mate, it's, I was, like, four. It still exists now. It does it? It's been abandoned, oh. and it just looks like the creepiest place in the world. Oh. It's been left to rot for the last 20 years or so. Where is this? Uh, somewhere in like crinkly bottom so i think it's like near glastonbury so my uh, great aunt and uncle live in somerset so i remember going when we were staying at their house and uh, that great uncle actually was a wrestling fan i remember watching some wcw early 90s with him on one of those trips so maybe it all fit together uh that trip (laughs) of crinkly bottom bit of wcw possibly yeah yeah but have a look up Uh, sorry look it up it's one of those weird creepy abandoned places that's still standing it like will freak you out if you have a look at it yeah, because there's like websites, isn't there, that go to like theme parks that have been abandoned yeah, it's and one of them. around, take pictures of them. I'll have to check it out. Amazing. See, I always, uh, the rest that I always associate Noel Edmonds with, apart from Hulk Hogan's odd appearance on there, I thought like back in the day, he was just, as a kid, I was convinced him and the Million Dollar Man were brothers. And then as I got oh, older. Oh, me and you both. Yeah, yeah, me and you both. <laughs> like, I used to think they were the same person at times. Yeah, it's the hair, it's the beard. And obviously in later yeah. life, he kind of morphed into Jeff Jarrett, or Jeff Jarrett morphed into him. But yeah, proper million. If you put him in that million dollar man suit, like you're not telling the difference between uh, him and uh, Noel Edmonds and, uh, and Ted DiBiase. Edmonds uh, or DiBiase? I think I'd take Edmonds, you know. Mate, I'm going Edmonds as well. Edmonds all day. Think of the think of Ted DiBiase's later career, bashing his Bible and creating shit sons for wrestlers whose matches I had to sit through for an eternity, and they were fucking shy. At least with Edmonds, you got the memories and you got his run on I'm a Celebrity last year with Redknapp. That was great. <laughs> there 
Uh, only a bit of a pest with some of the contestants on Deal or No Deal, though, Noel Edmonds. Seemed to be, I seem, I'm sure there was like some big expose where he was harassing some of the female contestants on Deal or No Deal. I honestly thought you were about to say Mr. Blobby, so I'm glad you said yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And also, he bought a black cab so he could drive in black cab lanes around London. <laughs> Amazing, Jesus. legend. Yeah, I'm taking Nola oh, anytime over any wrestler. Well, um, I've seen a couple of these pictures from um, what appears to be some sort of Hieronymus Bosch hellhole that is Crinkly Bottom. Um, yeah, it's perfectly set up for a serial killer. Mind, I'm not that I'm promoting it, and people can't go out anyway. But it really, Jesus, looking at the bed. I mean. Honestly, if you're if you're anywhere near, I think it's called Cricket St. Thomas, um, and you're in a really low place, yeah, this is a place to go to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks like the go. kind of place Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs would hang out, doesn't it, JP? Oh, absolutely. God, yes. Q Lazarus blaring here. Oh, little dog called Precious running around the place. There's a horror movie waiting to be made uh, at this place. I'm just looking at the image of yourself. Um, but anyway, back to the show. And we had uh, we had our main event uh, up next. Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat. Again, if you'd, if you'd uh, asked me trivia, you know, 1994 was kind of the year where, you know, I wasn't getting the tapes and you said to me there was a Flair Steamboat match in 1994. I wouldn't have been 100% sure. But there was. They kind of seemed to... I don't know, as a holdover for the Hogan era, because Hogan is all over this show. Just He's like a, he's like a, a weird ghost kind of hanging around. He's like, he gets mentioned every now and then. The teasing that he might turn up in the front row. Ric Flair's challenged him, despite the fact that Ricky Steamboat's the number one contender. Uh, but aside from that, I think he did, you know, put, putting Steamboat back in this position uh, and getting him as over as he was here and doing the house that he did here is definitely something that should be commended. I don't think it's... Uh, I mean, I'm not maybe the high man for their, you know, their 80s series. I recognise it as the, the classic that it is. Maybe I watched it too late in life to be as into it as uh, some of the people who lived through it or watched it close to the time. I don't think this quite gets to, the, to those levels. I think it's, for maybe the first half, it is just a match, although the second half really does does step up. Um, but I thought it was a worthy main event. Glad to see Steamboat get a main event in 1994, and yeah, a nice way for the, the uh, pre-Hogan era to maybe bow out, maybe with uh, one more show to go after this. Yeah, I agree, Ben. I watched those uh, that trilogy of matches after the time, and I didn't enjoy them. But it's kind of like you're trying to watch it with eighties eyes, mm. but like still like, oh, I've heard these are the greatest matches of all time. Still really good. But, oh yeah. And I thought this was a good match, but. I'd, Complete. I haven't seen a Ricky Steamboat match in years, and I'd forgotten what a great sort of like how smooth and crisp all these offenses when he's doing sort of like when he's flipping flare over and things like that. And I've, I'd forgotten how smooth of a sort of like worker he was in the ring. And, and like you said, it is a sort of like I hate to use a horrible cliche, but a match of two halves, isn't it? You know, mm. it's, it's like there's a slow burning build up at the start, and then they go mm. sort of like more all out, even trying to recreate the finish of. Um, of the original match. I think they keep mentioning it on commentary, don't they? It was like five years before, I think, was it 89 that the original match took place? Yeah. That's it, yeah. And like, it's a weird as well, because like, that 89, like NWA, WCW, kind of just feels like a million years away at this point. But mm. they're still, they're both, like, I think Flair's obviously very much on the tail end of his prime, but they've still got something to offer. Like, I, for me, on Grapple, I went three and a half on it. Um, I don't know, you guys, any any higher on it? I've seen rating, on Grapple, his rating's as high as four and a half on it. I wouldn't go that high, but uh, anybody nah. any higher than me? 
I went 3.75. And yeah, I kind of echoed both of your thoughts. I thought like the map work and stuff was very good. Just watching Steamboat, like, it's been, like you said, Martin, it's been a while since I've seen a Steamboat match. And I sort of forget just how much I love him as a wrestler. And it's mostly that just that being able to re- appreciate that execution, how smooth he is, how good his signature offense looks as well. And also how kind of likable he is in the ring as well. Um, but yeah, it does sort of take off in the sort of tail end of the match in the second half of it. And the finish is just a bit shit. And I sort of get the finish they're playing off. I think it's from their, um, is it their two out of three full 55 yeah. minute match, which I think is the one after the Chi-Town Rumble. But, you know, unless you're completely clued into that, or they should have probably shown it before they went to the match, mm. I thought. And, like, how many people are going to remember that five years on, especially during an era where you've probably created a lot of new fans as well, a lot of younger fans. But, yeah, I still thought it was a, a very good match, what it is. And to me, it represented this kind of, like, it was the ideal match to have as a kind of shift in time. So you've got like two great wrestlers, two of the greatest of all time, who were known for their work rate matches in 89 when they were going up against Hogan's WWF. And you're transitioning with an, a return to those work rate matches between these two guys to basically say, right, this is the end of this, and now we're going into the Hogan era. What we were going up against in 1989 is coming here and the style is going to change dramatically, and everything's going to go downhill. But business is going to pick up. Yeah, there you go. That's probably the the romantic way of looking at it. Um, what did you yeah. give it, GP? I gave it three and a half. Um, I again echoing the thoughts that you guys had. Some of the finishes though on this show, I mean, like would be in few. Imagine if AEW started to end some of their pay per view main events like this. Mm. People would lose their fucking minds, wouldn't they? But it's. Yeah, I agree with what you guys said. It, it is like the ushering in of an era, isn't it? It's or the ushering out of an era mm. for leading into Hogan and friends turning up. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, watching Ricky Steamboat matches, and I think that's one of the clever things he did in terms of you know sort of retiring as a as a real active performer as much as he did. He, he did it at exactly the right time because that for him was. I'm trying to think of what other matches would he have had beyond this at this point that in terms of like good matches he would have had on top this probably was the last one no yeah yeah i um, think he had a bit of a us tv title run for a couple of months and then called yeah. it a day yeah. yeah and then he came back for that uh jericho match didn't he i was he? gonna say yeah we've got, yeah, we got yeah. the jericho match we've got that mini punk feud yes. he did in roh that but that was kind of it wasn't it like his in-ring career is over yeah. after this yeah, I always thought as well, one of the things that was interesting about him, because this obviously had a face versus face dynamic. Mm. And I can remember, I was telling Joe about this when we were watching the show on the Saturday. Um, there was always this kind of feeling, I remember reading about it, that like Ricky Steamboat wasn't as popular because he'd embraced the family gimmick that he had coming out with his son and his wife and things like that. That that was actually some of the things that kind of never meant that he didn't connect in that kind of, perhaps sort of more mainstream type way it wasn't very cool was him. it yeah exactly it wasn't cool for that time and it wasn't how you wanted your you know your your kind of top baby face to be there was and and i always wondered whether or not that that was something that that would kind of almost be used against him but yeah as a match goes it's it's great it's to think at this point you're like our oh, flair you know at this stage in 94 you'd be thinking yeah flair's on the downturn it'd be out of but you won't be wrestling in about sort of two, three years' time. Mm. And you're like, fucking hell, you know. We're just going to jump away from a second retirement match, let's be honest. 
Is Steamboat Flair's best opponent, would you say? Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think Barry Windham, he had some great matches yeah. with as well. Uh, there's one in 86, I think there's one in 87 that I remember as well, just being awesome. But yeah, I can't disagree with Steamboat, to be honest with you, in terms of the high, high-end flair matches. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to disagree with that. No, I think no. it's Steamboat, yeah. I'd throw an honorary mention in for Savage, but I know you won't like that, Joe. Um, oh, they're, 90, they're WrestleMania match in, uh, was it WrestleMania 8? Yeah. Best Savage match. My favourite Savage match. Easily, and easily. Even, even when they're old men, they turn it back on in, in later WCW. Uh, he was, yeah, it's like Uncensored 95, something like that. Right, they yeah, have a match. Yeah. yeah, I remember that being good. Yeah, but that's the thing. We're talking about Flair, aren't we, here? In like the, the period before, he kind of just gets railroaded by Hogan. Like that's like the that's always the difference people describe Flair as like he wasn't the this great booker and he wasn't you know he was great in ring but he wasn't always the best politically because like while he protected himself like during this WCW period and made him some enemy made himself some enemies his unfortunate side was that like I think he kind of he got something out of putting wrestlers over and he got something he didn't really mind so much being on the losing end and then you mm. you cross that with Hogan. Oh my god! How many matches did he go with Hogan without winning? Isn't there like a isn't there like an eight match streak or something before he, he manages yeah. to finally beat Hogan? Like the he whole well tail truly... end of '94, wasn't yeah. it? I he mean, just... they had that match at Beach Blast, and then the did the is that one they termed Age in the Cage Halloween Havoc, the Flair retirement match from '94? I think is that, that was... Roddy Piper. Yeah, Piper's oh, Age yeah, in the Cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Jesus! Yeah. Fuck me, but still, but yeah, he just he just <laughs> <laughs> he does just get railroaded though, doesn't he? He's like it's almost like he's too nice a guy, and he just lets. Hogan just do what he wants. Weren't yeah. they an episode of Baywatch together around this period? Well, at 94, 95 sort of era as well, if I remember rightly. That's right, yeah, Vader and Sting in it as well. Yeah, because I remember Baywatch being on one Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening, whenever it was. And I hadn't seen a lot of rest in years, but obviously I knew Hogan and Flair and being like, what? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> I, I need to dig the episode out at some point, give it a watch. Me and JP were watching a few clips a few months ago at work of Baywatch Nights. Do you remember that, JP? Yeah, I do, yeah. That was fucking wild, Baywatch Yeah, what's, what's his face in that? Uh, in my Game of Thrones and everything. Uh, Carl Drogo at Game of Thrones. What's his name? Jason Momoa. Wasn't he in Baywatch Nights? Was he? Was he? Oh, no, no, sorry. Baywatch Hawaii, I think he might have been in. Oh. Ah, right. Now, this is them setting up a private detective agency. <laughs> the bloke. There is all we went through and read all the things that happen in Baywatch Night. It's too much to go into now, here, but trust me, we've got the time. It, it seems fucking wild, that show. And certainly the writers were drug addled. At <laughs> best, they were drug addled. They should have cast Hogan alongside uh, yeah. Hasselhoff as like his uh, his partner or something. That would have been great. Oh. Here it is. If you go to Wikipedia, the first line is Baywatch Nights is an American and Amer- an American police and science fiction drama series that aired in syndication <laughs> from ninety five to ninety seven. Yeah, what and they don't downplay the science fiction aspect. They shouldn't. Fuck it out. Yeah, I was a I was a fan of the proper Baywatch, and I do remember like I'm sure the night that this like because it was a Saturday night show, wasn't it? I swear it was yeah, a yeah with early Gladiators. evening. Yeah. I feel like it was on, and then Gladiators was after, and I do remember. Yeah, no, yeah, you're catchphrase right. Catchphrase was on yeah. around the same time, wasn't it? Uh, I think go, Catchphrase yeah. led into Baywatch possibly, and then we had a bit of a uh, bit of Gladiators afterwards. Oh, it was a big break on the other side at that time. Yeah, yeah it was on a Monday been. night, I think. Yeah, uh, big oh. break it was a Saturday, mate. Was he? Oh, right. oh, I always thought oh, it was yeah. on, yeah, on the Monday. Mm. No, no, Big Bright was dead because we used to go to my nan's house every Saturday for uh, for dinner. Same. 
Yeah, and uh, Big Break was a, a staple of the era. Like, if there was a series of Big Break on, it was getting watched. And I, remember, I think there was a period where it was Double Davidson. Yeah, Generation Game as well. Generation Game. And it'd be like, fuck's sake, I'm kind of sick of seeing this racist bastard. <laughs> Not that I was so, you know, onto his racism at that point in time, but there was something always off about Davidson. A lot of uh, old game show and TV hosts being mentioned tonight, isn't there? Really fitting him with the 90s theme. You I always remember, even as a kid, I remember it was a contestant on Generation Game going, oh, well, we're all European now, aren't we? And Jim Davidson was like i'm not i'm bloody british or whatever are we are we davidson or bruce Forsyth generation game era fans i'm about oh, Forsyth. Yeah. Yeah, all, Forsyth. all over Forsyth. Yeah. it's the pose that, um, that was wrestling that, that and a big player cards right fan as well what was that man <laughs> was that what was the name ford was she on both of them davidson and bruce Forsyth? oh it was like the little sidekick i think so yeah yeah yeah, yeah i know yes. yeah yeah yeah, that's true. Uh, glory days of TV. It wasn't just the glory days of wrestling. This was the proper stuff. Uh, Simpler times, mate. We're just contextualising the time period by bringing up these <laughs> not these television references. I feel hey, it's what people <laughs> listen for. That's it. None of the wrestling exactly. nonsense. <laughs> uh, that and uh, JP's um, football manager uh, stories as well. Uh, we'll continue oh, through weeks. I, uh, until I just get annoyed and quit it. <laughs> start quitting it without saving turn into that kind of person there we go uh, anything more on spring stampede i mean as far as the show goes like i feel like you know maybe we were a bit critical about a couple of matches but i do want to say like i think i only went below three for one match and that was the opener and i could have easily given it three like this was a show where there was something for everyone like the variety on this show no matches like the previous match some of the finishes are a bit ropey but like the cast of characters on this show, as far as the show goes, to give you an example of like early nineties WCW, I think as far as a pick goes, Joe, I think you've outdone yourself here. Oh, cheers, mate! Yeah, I was always a massive fan of this show, and I remember getting this as well. There was a guy who used to sell because when that era of WCW tapes ended, um, I was like, shit, I want to carry on. I remember finding a guy online who was just burning um, the other shows and the Clash of the Champions and Saturday nights onto DVDs. So I remember buying loads of Clash of Champions from sort of late 80s uh, through to sort of this era and loads of the pay-per-views that I couldn't get on like burnt DVD discs. So I had this on one of them. And I remember this was one that I would watch pretty regularly. I remember thinking at the time, as a show, like it's not as if it's full of like four-star matches, but I don't want that from it. It's full of variety. And the variety is great because everything's different and everything feels fresh and it never gets dull as a show. It really keeps you going. And I think it's just the uh, the diversity in the styles of wrestling on this card as well. The keep it fresh and the style of wrestler as well. It's an awesome, awesome show that if you've never seen it or if you haven't seen it for years, get on the WWE Network because it's free for this month. Usually I wouldn't say to get on there because I wouldn't give those uh, bastards your money. <laughs> but do the, do the free month and have a watch of this one rather than these empty arena shite they've been putting on. And also the crowd. I, don't, I feel like we don't get crowds this hot anymore, yeah, even when it's yeah. like a ram-packed audience. Yes. Uh, yeah. and and, uh, we didn't get crowds this big that often, did they? Like, what a what a unique show. Yeah, they, they, when they start to get crowds, I think the next time they get a crowd like that is actually the Hogan bash at the beach against um, against Flair, isn't it? Mm. With, um, what do you call him, Shaquille O'Neal and the rest of it. That won't be an era of WCW I'll want to review at all. <laughs> oh, is that not what we're doing next now? Oh, I don't want to go, Tan. Are we fuck? No, we <laughs> haven't reached that point. I don't know. 
ask me in late July, and I think at that point we'll just be talking about anything. <laughs> Dennis Rodman, JP. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Jay yeah. Leno. I'm more a Carmelo. Oh, that's awful. All of that stuff. Isn't and there the a Rodman documentary on. coming onto network? Is that? It's on there now. Oh, oh I want to watch that. Yeah, I'll enjoy that. I thought that, just, that, that'd be a better Dark Side of the Ring episode than it would be WWE documentary, probably with Rodman. They they did a thirty for thirty on him last year that I watched recently. That's that's worth a watch. There are some crappy devices in there, mm. uh, but it's worth a watch. The content's pretty interesting. No wrestling mention, but it's a good documentary. Martin, I was going to say you never mentioned. Um, uh, much about the show that you went to in 1994 WCW. What mm. what was on that card? Oh, I mentioned it right at the top of the show. Yeah, we had um, it was Hogan v Flair main event in. Then it was Sting v Regal, Austin against Pillman, um, Guardian Angel against Vader. Cause I was on about um, oh. Vader putting Guardian Angel through a table and some guys chanting ECW and that yeah. happened. And um, I think Hacksaw Jim Duggan was on there. Well, yeah, some of the matches really good, and then some. We had some crap as well. Like uh, I can't remember who Duggan faced now, and then I'm sure there was uh, the Sullivan brothers in a tag match against somebody. But yeah, some good stuff on there, and then some dross. So it was kind of a weird. It was a mix of this sort of era mixed in with the Hogan sort of era as well. Interesting. Yeah, the, the first time I get to see WCW was that that Harris Boys main evented shit show in uh, what year was that? I mean, two thousand. I think it was... Yeah, it was 2000, wasn't it? Sold out Nitro. That's it, yeah, with Lex Luger spending like 20 20 minutes doing his entrance. Kevin Nash couldn't be bothered having a match. Uh, That was was the bad WCW. To be fair, though, I went to a Thunder tape in the year after, and that was a lot better, uh, even if we were well into the Russo era. On what that same on tour, though, that you got that shit show in Manchester, and I'm sure the London show was, had like a, a much better lineup and card or something. Because I remember at the time, loads of people kicking off. Because on your tickets, didn't you have like Goldberg and Sting and everybody on it, and yep. none of which were there. Yeah, Harris <laughs> Boys versus the Mamelukes. That was the main event we got instead. Fuck me. Oh my god, <laughs> is that with Big Vito? <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. Fuck. Yeah. Although I we, we get remember them the being in WCW, like Tony Marmaluke, I think ECW, like and his brief Ring of Honor run. Like when was he in? Like how long was he in WCW for? Oh no, this is the Marmaluke, not Tony Marmaluke. I think Tony Marmaluke. I don't think he was ever paired with them. This was Big Vito no. and uh, Johnny. He might the have been the manager. Yeah, it was Big Big Vito and Johnny the Bull. No, that's right. Ah, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I well, don't blame you though, Joe, because yeah, they weren't notable names and they weren't where, where they're going on last. Uh, although, you know, Booker T was on that show, Vampiro was on that show. They got to see some stars. Saw Ric Flair and Hacksaw Jim Duggan outside the venue where they uh, we, we ran up to them and asked for autographs. And they were like, oh, well, Ric Flair was like, oh, we'll be back out in a minute, lads. Just give us a minute. And they went inside and never came back. Never forgiven them for that. What a I've just fetched the lineup for that show. You had um, Norman Smiley against Brian Nobbs in a hardcore match. Yep, that the was good. The wall against wow. Dave. David Flair. Yeah. saw Jim Duggan against Fit Finley. With USA chance against Fit Finley. Like that was <laughs> that was hard to take. I felt bad for all uh, all fit. You did have Dustin Rhodes against Terry Funk. Uh yeah, that was that was at the you know when Terry Funk was coming out with the rubber chicken era. And, uh, oh, and Dustin was on one of his uh, one of his many uh, drug runs, unfortunately. 
And this review I've fetched up has got the ticket and the, the poster is just Nash in front of a Union Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then can... the ticket's got Nash, Goldberg and Sting, none of which were on the show. Didn't Bret Hart come out and do like a, his oh, usual... He did like, like a... I love England. He did, yeah. And it was like... He was, and then while he was in the middle of the promo, it went silent for a second and somebody from my section shouted, Brett screwed Brett. And he literally just stopped and he looked so sad. And it was so depressing. I felt so bad for him because he was so happy to be there. Um, although Nash did turn up. Nash literally just came out. And like, I think he, I think in the Luger match, maybe he pulled Miss Elizabeth for the back, to the back. And that was his payday. I think on, on TV, he was doing a storyline where he was in a wheelchair. Didn't even bother for, with the wheelchair. That's how much Kevin Nash was asked that night. Was he fucking <laughs> it at that point? Yeah, I think he was. I think he was. I think that's the only reason he bothered even making the flight. Uh, but yeah, he didn't put any effort in. But I think, but I think Booker, Booker T. Jeff Jarrett's on that show, isn't it, Martin? Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. That was probably the best match of the night because Booker T. was on a bit of a rise there. He was one of the few bright spots in uh, in WCW at that period. Kevin Nash is just like he's a lazy genius. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. Has gotten paid. It's quite incredible. Mm. Didn't he say when loads of people were saying you should retire? And he was like, if you walk past an ATM that was firing out twenty dollar bills, would you uh, <laughs> just walk on? <laughs> Oh, I do love Nash. Uh, it's a real shame you never made it out to Southampton, lads. But hopefully, yeah. Hopefully uh, mate, New Year's Eve. That's what he's uh, reached. <laughs> oh yeah, New Year's Eve. <laughs> Hope yeah. you've got no other plans. Uh, oh, uh, New Year's Eve. Me and my girlfriend just spent together because we met on a New Year's Eve. Mm. Uh, but this year she's going to be on her own, I think, because I'm going to be with <laughs> probably JP and my brother watching Kevin Nash. I've had a massive buffet, hopefully, in the place that my year 11 prom took place. And, you know, many hallowed football memories at St. Mary's Stadium. And, uh, yeah, partying on down with Kevin Nash, because I'm sure JP, with the goods he can supply and bring along to a party, <laughs> can get Nash on board for an evening. I think I so, believe. and I'm fucking up for it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That show he's never fucking up. We can dream, Martin, can't we? <laughs> Well, I, I don't want to really end things because I'm having too much fun talking classic WCW. Does anyone have anything else on the show, WCW in general, or should we uh, should we get to bed and save for another day? I don't want to like be the uh, company drum banger, but there is a great interview John Pollock did with is it Jeff Merrick about the whole Benoit thing that's well worth checking out on Post. Listen oh. to that today. Mm. He was like a hockey commentator, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah, um, and he uh, was part of the law, and he did a lot of like the interviewing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and he was mates with Ben. What I said, talking about that stuff because mm. um, I'll be I'll be watching that probably tonight. Mm. Um, and it, it starts off. Although I will say this, I've only seen the first couple of minutes of this part two. It does clearly mention about the regal comments and shows it and explains why he said them. So like okay. that's that's an interesting thing to to definitely. Uh, keep an eye on for it so in terms of the tone of the piece it's mm. it's still it's it's very much kind of as the first part was yeah, i'm on a bit of a high after this because i've I loved this show but yeah i'm gonna go depress myself and bring myself back <laughs> down to earth now with yes. part yep. yeah there we go yeah uh, any other plugs martin anything else you want to plug? can we say what we're doing on bwe next week do we know yet it's uh it's well, tough well, time, i don't think it? we know yet do we yeah. we're doing a retro review we're trying to like tie up what happened in brit rest about three months ago i don't know um I'm nxt sure we'll uk know by you lads have been slacking on that <laughs> oh, yeah. and you've still got like three months in the can or something somehow we're not we're not that desperate though martin Leading up to a takeover that's never happening. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. If, if you told me there'd be a live WWE event possibly happening from Enfield, 
within what would have been about a 10 minute walk of where my mum lived. I don't know if I would have. I just would have been absolutely <laughs> fucking buzzing, just like regularly breaking into the place. That's what's going to end up happening, isn't it? Yeah. If yeah, they get away with it. <laughs> but yeah, we'll be back next Friday anyway, won't we, Martin? With, with something. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have something by then. We'll hammer something out before the weekend and get it in the post schedule. So, well, yeah, I just want to say thanks for inviting me on. I think, like, just to reiterate what Joe said, it's been a good sort of distraction from all the shit that's going on in the world at the minute. So, yeah, thanks again for having me on. No worries, mate. It's been great having you. Absolute pleasure. Indeed. Uh, JP, we got good anything to, to Good to hear from the Brigadier. Just to get that <laughs> <in>. <laughs> uh, yeah, Brigadier of Britain. You're right, WH. <laughs> He's got that thing over, hasn't he? He's done well. He has. Martin, do you know what? Can I, can I just... Oh, sorry to carry on. This has gone <laughs> fucking forever, hasn't it? When I hear the Brigadier of Brit rest, I always think, BWE, when you used to have the Trooper by Iron Maiden, I see you in, like, the Eddie costume from the Trooper <laughs> single cover. Like, I've got uh, this image of you dressed in that as the Brigadier of Brit rest. I'll take that. I'll take that. It's better than looking like the Brigadier out of Doctor Who, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, JP, we got it to plug. I suppose people should download Grapple, shouldn't they, if they want to rate some retro WCW stuff yeah, like this? I'd say go back. If you honestly to God, the way things are at the moment, if you're looking for something just for three hours to just lose yourself in, and I'm here seeing lots of people watching sort of classic nitros and the rest, it's the perfect time to kind of get that little bit of a history fix on. You've wanted to say, Oh, I've never gone back and watched such and such. It's like, well, there's never a better time than now, really, at this point. So oh. go on there. What r- rate and review the uh, matches uh, that Gareth's, you know, doing God's work getting up on there? That um, uh, from WCW sort of ninety two to ninety four. Yeah, you'll have all of them up soon enough. Got an idea for you live on air. Mm. Talking about Nitro era, should we do do another one of these possibly? It, like during this crisis, maybe we'll go for a bit more of a Nitro era. Possibly a look at maybe '97 or something. Maybe we could pick a couple of random Nitros from throughout the year. Yeah. One of the pay-per-views would be up for that. Always game for that. Oh yeah, awesome. Let's have a think yeah. about what the focus we should do it on. But yeah, I think there's something in that. I think we'd enjoy that. Definitely. Uh, the career of Ron Reese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that Raven Goldberg match. Fuck me. I love that match. Oh, I, I want that's... to do the, the Bunkhouse book career retrospective, but that's a little bit Leave that to JP. <laughs> How about yeah. the Van Hammer career retrospective? Oh, that, that, oh you'd, you'd span some time with that. I'd enjoy that. Oi, we mentioned a few members of the flock here. Maybe the flock as a whole, possibly. <laughs> as long as I'd you do that Raven group. Goldberg match, mate, I'm in. The best Nitro match oh, of all time. Love it. In the intro of that Louis Theroux when he's talking to Raven, he's like, don't you know who I am? Did you not do some research? He's like, no, I've got absolutely no idea who you are. Nope, no idea. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure all that stuff out. But yeah, once again, thanks, Martin, for coming on. Um, thanks to Grapple Gareth as well. This is a, It's been a quiet anniversary because of everything going on in the outside world. Um, but yeah, this is the pretty much the one-year anniversary of us joining Grapple. So, like I said earlier, it was a year ago that we uh, we started the big tone mm. meme. Gareth put all, all the trust in the world in us, and then we, we launched with an episode where we just talked about Tony Khan wanking dogs for about two and a half hours. And how far we've come a year on. Uh, we're still here. He hasn't kicked us off the network. What a guy. Huge hey, congratulations. I'll... Uh, um drinking some imaginary champagne but yeah huge <laughs> congratulations obviously you guys have done a fantastic job with the show and obviously gareth done a brilliant job with the app so yeah Thank congratulations you. much appreciated yeah. cheers Dr- drinking a celebratory oval teen as we speak <laughs> <laughs> you, you know. had to get one in didn't you you had to get one in. oh yeah uh, but yeah uh, again 
Follow uh, follow Gareth on, on uh, Twitter at Grapple Gareth. Follow the uh, the Grapple account at the Grapple App. Follow JP at JPGP, and follow me at Benson Richardy. Uh, and also follow Martin at Bushby zero one. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back on Monday, hopefully with a regular spotlight show. Fuck knows what we're going to talk about. Hopefully AEW comes out with a whole load of talking points uh, this week. Uh, at the time of recording, it's uh, not quite heard yet, so we'll see. I'm sure there'll be loads of shit show do we do stuff to talk about, and also mm. we'll have a British wrestling experience for you over on post with myself martin and jamesy next friday but yeah until then i guess we'll see you soon and uh keep tuned to grapple for what we're doing next bye see ya he's simply ravishing ah!